Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the Bald Face Truth. Welcome in. This is the Bald Face Truth. I am Peter Sampson in for John Canzano this week while he takes some well deserved RR as we approach college football season. You know he's going to be all over that for the entire fall as we head into winter. It's great to be with you on this Tuesday. We've got so much to talk about. Of course, Sean McPherson, Stephen Vaughn with me as well. A gamut of sports. A lot going on for a, a mid-August Tuesday. And uh, the NBA schedule not out yet. Should be out tomorrow. We'll kick that around a little bit later. Tease some things there. The NBA, of course, made an announcement about their schedule today. Uh, we've got some NFL news. Of course, we're going to talk a little Pac-12 uh, believe it or not, I want to start with the Portland Trailblazers. Friend of the program, Sean Hyken, who has the Rose Garden Report. He's doing his own thing, uh, formerly formerly of Bleacher Report, The Athletic. Basically, if you follow the Blazers, you know Sean Hyken. And as a subscriber to his fine publication, uh, he put out a great interview that he did this morning with uh, Nasir Little. And he talked about what uh, Little's mindset is as we approach the season. And, of course, Nasir Little, still young, 22 years old. He is going into his fourth season. And we've all known that the sky is sort of the limit for Nasir Little after his one year at North Carolina. He was so highly touted. He honestly sort of struggled at Carolina, I guess you could say. the Maybe the three-point shooting wasn't what a lot of people expected it to be. But the athleticism, of course, uh, the, the sheer energy that he brings to the court. The Blazers saw that. They jumped on him. And right from the moment he was drafted, uh, you know, all the experts, the pundits, even fans in the know said, look, this is a guy that has a potential to be an absolute steal if he pans out with what his capabilities are. He was so highly touted coming out of high school. And, of course, you know, he didn't play much as a rookie. No rookie ever does under Terry Stotts. He dealt with uh, some injury issues. Uh, he got a really bad case of COVID, if you recall, when that first was, uh, you, you know, coming out in early stages of the pandemic. He lost, like, 20 pounds. Uh, he was really set back from that. He had the fainting spells. All that's behind him. And the Blazers, you know, under new coach Chauncey Billups last year, come out, Nasir Little, is expected to be, you know, a fairly key part of that team. And early in the season, wasn't necessarily a big cog, but over the last, you know, 30 games that he played there, uh, you know, he put up, this is a guy averaging 11 and 6, a block a game, an assist and a half, you know, shooting really well. 33% from three, okay, that's not great. But the way he impacted the game with his energy, his hustle, hit the boards, 
effective in certain scenarios. And on the the entire season, he averaged 10 points, five and a half boards, played 26 minutes a game. That was before, of course, he suffered a labral tear in his left shoulder and underwent season-ending surgery on February 1st. That was kind of the beginning of the true teardown there where you go like, man, this is all going to go sideways here. And so Nasir Little is one guy. When you talk about the the uh, the tanking, the clear tanking last se- last season, where they they go two and twenty one down the stretch, Nasir Little is one of those guys that absolutely could have benefited from being able to to play thirty six. I'm not going to call them meaningless minutes, but thirty six minutes a game where he's going to get his touches. He's going to be one of the main guys there. Of course, if he played well enough, I'm sure they would have invented an injury just like they did with Simons and Nurk and Hart and various other guys, but. Nasir Little, this is kind of perfect timing for me that this interview came out because I think Nasir Little is going to surprise some people this year. I don't think Josh Hart is going to be the starter at the three. I think it is going to be Nasir Little, and I think he is rolling into a contract year. I think he's got a lot to prove. I think he's had some bad luck. He's certainly not. It's not being injury prone per se. But he's had some different knocks here and there. It's been one thing after the other. I think he is set to thrive. And Nasir Little, to me, is the kind of guy where maybe he's not a Terry Stotts guy. But, man, he's definitely a Chauncey Billups type of player. We are we can already see what kind of guys Chauncey Billups really likes and wants on his team. He wants energy. He wants effort. He wants hustle. Nasir Little gives you all of that. I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. It also came out under the radar in May, so he had labral sh- uh, shoulder surgery in February. In May, he underwent the same core muscle surgery that shut down Damian Lillard. He'd only been playing through it for a few months, not a few years like Dame, but it was something that they were going to address anyway. So basically, he underwent a two-for-one. He's healthy, he's rehabbed, and it sounds like he's ready to go. Now, I think... There might be some people that say I'm crazy that I think Nasir Little is going to start over Josh Hart, who averaged, what, 19.9 points per game as a Blazer. Looked, look, frankly, I'm a Josh Hart fan. I knew he was a very nice player. He looked better than I'd ever seen him look, and it's not just because he was getting a bunch of minutes. He's smooth. He's one of those guys that can help every team look better. Now, he would be a little out of position at the three, but... If I'm uh, if I'm Chauncey Billups, I'm Joe Cronin. I'm envisioning Josh Hart as being that steady guy that may stay off the bench. He's still going to play 29, 30 minutes a game, but I have him leading that second unit. Maybe you don't have a ton of ball handling there. You know, you have Justice Winslow, you have uh, you know Gary Payton the second, you know some other guys. I like Josh Hart as kind of a guy that can steady that unit. But I think Nasir Little, who's already shown some chemistry with Simons, already shown some with Dame, Jeremy Grant going to draw some attention, Nurk back. I think Nasir Little is going to surprise some people this year. I think he's going to earn that starting spot. Now, what does that look like? Am I calling for, you know, 20 and 10? Of course not. But that being said, don't be surprised if this is a guy that gives you 13.6 or 7 rebounds a game. And look, somebody's got to do that. Be on the low end of double-digit scoring. Somebody's got to provide that effort. Somebody's got to be that glue guy. I have a feeling he can be that guy. Guys, am I I out in left field thinking Nasir Little's going to be your starter once we get through training camp? Yeah, I think it's a, any number of guys. I think you mentioned Josh Hart. You mentioned Nasir Little. I think Justice Winslow has a chance to be the starting three on this team. I don't think it's out left field because he is the youngest. And, you know, for his size, he's only 6'5", but he's got the really long wingspan. He plays a lot bigger than his height actually indicates. 
Um, I mean, I think the one thing with Nasir Little is, you know, there's two things, actually. One is the health, which you can't really, you know, it's hard to say, okay, he's going to stay healthy this year or he's going to be hurt. But the other one is just consistent shooting. And at being at 6'5", he's going to have to play more on the perimeter. He can't really be that, in, you know, an interior force uh, unless he turns out to be a P.J. Tucker, which is very rare. Like, that's, he's one of one guy that could do that. So he's got to be a consistent three-point shooter. You talked about his percentage you know, he was very inconsistent a season ago. The first 16 games or first 14 games of the year, he shot 34% from three. Then the next 16, he shot 23.5%. The last 12 games, he shot 40%. So it was really up and down all season long. And that's something that if he can, you know, crack down to be a consistent 37, 38% shooter, it's going to help the Blazers a lot because you talked about this. Chauncey Billups, he wants guys that play hard, play defense, and Give it in a night in, night out. And that's what Nasir Little does. He's a great athlete, plays hard every night. And that's why I think he likes Justice Winslow because he knows his role. He plays hard. But if Nasir can end up being a consistent shooter, I think you're right. He could be eventually the starting small forward on this team. I just don't think it's going to be at the start of this season. To me, I think it makes sense that Nasir Little would start at the three because I'm not really sure who else the Blazers have to fill that spot. You mentioned Josh Hart. He's probably the favorite to start at the three, but he's more of a two guard. Um, and he would make a lot of sense off the bench. So I do think that given the Blazers' uh, roster right now, Nasir Little definitely has a chance of playing the three. And quite honestly, you just need a guy who's going to defend really well, defend really hard. You don't really need a score. You're going to start Dame and Simons and Jeremy Grant and Nurkic, all gifted scores. At that three spot, you want a guy that's going to be able to hit an open three and to be able to defend, uh, preferably the other team's best forward. And Nasir Little has a chance of being that guy, but for me personally, I you know the injuries scare me. The fact that he had two surgeries, not one not one surgery on just the torn labrum, but then he came back and he got the core surgery as well. That's definitely concerning for a 22, 23 year old player. Um, I'm def- definitely still not out all the way on Nasir Little, uh, but the injuries do concern me, and uh, I I I wouldn't mind if he starts at the three, but. You know, I think there there could be better options, but certainly a chance for a breakout year. Yeah, see, I'm, and the other thing I'm doing, I'm sort of reading between the tea leaves here. You know, when, when Cronin calls out Nasir Little specifically as part of the core, uh, maybe not with some other guys. The fact that he's available for an interview, made available by the team for an interview, and not a Hart, not a Winslow, you sort of look through that and you go, oh, I, I think, and this is the cynic in me, they're setting it up for a nice happy story that we all can cover. Like, here's Nasir Little, he's making it, he's going to have his breakthrough, he's overcome these challenges, and here we go. But I do think I certainly understand the injury history. To me, they're not necessarily related. You know, he got tangled up going up for that rebound. He got his arm yanked back. I mean, guess that'll tear your labrum. We've, you know, seen it multiple times. The core injury, it's one of those things. He was going to play through it and deal with it in the offseason. They just figure you're out. You're going to get it already. I guess it's, it's the exact same thing that Dame had. I mean, it's a problem. The most concerning thing for me which apparently isn't a major thing. It was those fainting spells a couple years ago, and I'm so glad that it sounds like that wasn't a big deal because that's one of those things that can derail your career in a hurry because there's the potential of heart issues, you know, circulation issues, something like that. It sounds like it's nothing like that, thank goodness, because, again, that's a situation that can stop you dead in your tracks. But, again, I, I look at a young guy who – Going back to Carolina, he hasn't quite put it all together, but all the pieces are there. The last thing that I need to see is 
that three-point shooting. And you're right, Steven, he's shown it in these little stretches. I don't see anything in his form that doesn't make me think. I, and I don't expect him to shoot 40% like he did, what, the last 15 or 12 yeah. games. Or but I see no reason why he can't shoot 35 36% out there. And I certainly don't want him shooting six or seven a game. But you're right, he needs to be a dependable threat out there if teams double off a Nurk or slide over and handle Dame on the penetration to really earn that spot. But I really think that they're gearing up to actually slot him in that position. Well, and the thing is, is Chauncey Billups is known as a defensive guy, defensive coach. So I know Nasir Little has had some problems defensively. You know, when he's a one-on-one situation, he's great because he's really strong. He's a good athlete. But you watch tape, and he is in the, the wrong position a lot of times in the help defense. He's still learning how to get through screens. There's a lot of little things that he still has to improve defensively. But he had, like Sean said, he has all the skills and the athleticism to be a good defender. So you would hope under Coach Billups, like Chauncey can get that out of him. So you're right, Peter. Like if he can consistently knock down a three, and with the help of Chauncey Billups, you know, on the defensive side, he could become, you know, that quote unquote three and D guy that the Blazers could use, where he's guarding the wings on the other teams, and that that's something the Blazers haven't had, you know, for such a long time. Even if he doesn't get the shot figured out, and he's not able to shoot threes at that high of a clip this year. You gotta hope that Nasir Little is one of your best defenders. That he's the guy that you can put at the three position again, because in the starting lineup, there's four gifted scorers around that three spot, and so you have to hope that he's kind of a Lou Dort type that is just gonna work his tail off defensively. And I think that's got to be the expectation for Nasir Little this year, even if he's a 30% three-point shooter and you know he's not guarded that tightly. There's just like Dame and Anthony and Grant and Nurkic. All of those guys are gonna put the ball in the basket. Uh, quite a bit, and so I, I just hope at the three spot this year, the Blazers have that guy that's going to be able to guard LeBron James, Kevin Durant, that that other, you know, or even a guard. I, I think Gary Payton the is going to be able to guard the other team's best guard quite a bit, and hopefully not Damon Anthony, but the Blazers still need that guy that's going to be able to guard the other team's best forward. You know, Jason Tatum comes to town. You got to guard him, right? So, Hopefully Nasir Little can be that guy. It could be Jeremy Grant, too. But yeah. isn't that the problem, though? If he's a 30% shooter, it's Al Farouk Aminu, it's Mo Harkless all over again. Because he, he's not a great dribbler. He's an okay rebounder. But if he can only play defense and can't he, shoot, it's the same exact thing that we've had here in Portland for yeah, so many years. The, the difference there for me, though, is every team needs a guy that just sort of makes stuff happen. And Aminu and Harkless didn't make anything happen except on the side of the backboard. But but Nasir Little is one of those guys where even if, oh, you know, he was one for four from three that day or, you know, four for nine, three for nine from the floor. But he kind of gets in and just mixes it up. It's just that energy. And I don't even mean a physicality. You know, some guys bang guys he doesn't even really do that, but he just sort of gets in, mixes it up, and has a nose for the ball. And, th- and while you can't, I guess you can quantify that, but it's difficult to do. Every team needs a couple guys like that, or at least one guy like that. And I think they signed one this offseason. Gary Payton second is a guy like that. And even if Nas can't find that shot, and, and again, looking at his form, I don't really see any major issues why he couldn't do that. He still has to be able to grab that role. It's just, I get, you know, I start this game, we have our scoring punch, we have our defender here, we have our shooters here, and I just sort of mix it up and I just grab opportunities where I can get them, whether it's on the, the you know, the putback on the offensive board, whether I'm just out hustling the guy and I grab, you know, six defensive rebounds, just sort of sliding in. And, and one of those guys where it's like, wow, look at that, he had 12 points and he didn't have a play called for him. I'm sort of anticipating that being his role, but I agree with you guys that look, that individually there's still so much oppor- or opportunity there. He has all these skill sets and it just all hasn't quite come together for a longer than a 10, 12, 15 game span. 
this is the year where not only do I think he's going to put it together, this is the year where it's got to happen. He's set to be a restricted free agent. I mean, fourth year in the league, he's going to have opportunity. And and even if I'm crazy and he doesn't start, he's still going to play meaningful minutes. This is the year where he's got to put it together. No, definitely. I mean, this is year four for him. This is a big year for him. You know, you looked at Anthony Simons a season ago. It was year four for him, and he really blossomed and got that big contract. It's the same thing for Nasir Little. You're right, like – even if he doesn't start, there is a role on this team for him off the bench, and that is to provide energy and to provide something that uh, you know a lot of guys don't provide in the NBA. That's just, like you said, energy night in and night out. So it's a big year, and the Blazers do have a spot for him and a role that he needs to fulfill. You know, Can he stay healthy? He's he's only played 48 games. is the most games he's ever played in a career. That's a, that's a little valid question, valid concern. So it is a big year for Nasir, and he's one of the real big X factors, I think, for this team. Because if he pops and he becomes a legitimate starting three, that really helps the Blazers out just so much more going forward. So the Blazers' starting lineup, we know four of them, right? For sure. It's going to be Dean yeah. Anthony. We don't know the three, and then we're assuming it's going to be Jeremy Grant and Nurkic. Correct. That's, that's, it's Josh Hart, or there's no other combination. Like, there's nothing else. It's either Josh Hart or Nasir Little plug in. There's nothing Could else. Could be Justice Winslow. I think okay. Winslow is a dark horse to do it. Cha- Chauncey made comments last year about how he just loves Justice Winslow's game, and he said it numerous times, uh, especially when they beat the Lakers. He said he really challenged LeBron and, went, and made sure to go out of his way to congratulate him. So I think he's a dark horse for it. Yeah, Could what be. If, what if Jeremy Grant plays the three? Yeah, he's 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 better at the four. You you want Grant at the four. He can play the three. He's a little bit of a hybrid, but he can. I mean, that is an option. Who do you put at the four then? Yeah, I'm thinking like my mind goes to like Trent and Watford. Uh, it goes to. I'd much rather start Nasir Little yeah, than Trent no, and Watford. I, I agree. I'm just thinking of other. Blazers Twitter feels differently, but and hey, I'm happy for Watford too. But come on now. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be interesting. Like I. I'm personally of the mindset where the, the backcourt might struggle a little bit defensively if yeah. Damon Anfernee are the starting backcourt. Like I, I want to see what Anfernee can do defensively and where he compares compared to CJ McCollum, which we saw with Dame for all of those years. So I you know, I if you asked if I was in charge, Gary Payton the second might get the starting gig over Anfernee, and Anfernee's just an awesome, one of the best six man in the entire league, and he comes in, and he leads the second group, and he scores, but it sounds like they're going to start Anfernee at the two, and that concerns me a little bit defensively. Yeah, which makes perfect sense, and I'm picking up what you're putting down. I sort of agree, but they didn't pay him $100 million to come off the bench. He's definitely starting, and while his it sort of does duplicate what you got from Damon CJ, there's a little bit of different versatility there. Anfernee is certainly more athletic than CJ, but again, you're talking elite catch and shoot. You know, Ant gets to the rim a little more than CJ. CJ gets to the painted area; he doesn't get to the rim. But there is that overlap, especially defensively. So it's really gonna you know land on Grant, Nurk, and whoever's at the three. I think you're gonna see a lot of mixed lineups. Don't even be surprised. And it's so funny to. You you know, you talk about, again, a starting guard lineup that's undersized. They are, you know, with uh, Dame and uh, and Ant. You might even see some three-guard lineups where you have GP2 in there, but it's a little bit uh, counter to a traditional three-guard lineup because GP2 can really, you know, he can guard anyone except, I mean, I was going to say except Jokic, except we saw him guard him in the playoffs and actually do pretty well. So I think you could see that kind of lineup from time to time, but it's going to be sort of a balancing act to manage that that hole in the backcourt defensively. Yeah, and with Ant, you talked about the getting to the paint, getting to the free throw line. 
Yeah, for how good he was in those 30 games that he started, he still didn't get to the line three times a game. I know. And so that is the obvious next step for him is we know he can shoot. We know he can sort of create for others. He's still getting better, but he's shown the ability is can he get those easy buckets? Because that's where the superstars get their money, right? We've seen Dames for so many years get to the free throw line, get those easy buckets. If Ant can figure that out, uh, and he's still young enough to do it, obviously, he's still maturing into his body like that's when his contract will be worth it, and he gets the free throw, and he, that's when he starts averaging 22, 23 a night. And that's what killed me about C.J. McCollum. C.J., so, I mean, there's a reason they called him Crafty James, man, the way he could yeah. break off defenders and get inside. And he had a bevy of moves in the paint, but he wouldn't draw the contact and finish through. And the way he could break down the first line of defense and still only average, what, three free throws a game, yeah. four, whatever it was. I mean, he, he should have been averaging seven free throws a game for his much as he broke down his uh, primary defender and had the ball in his hands. I'm looking for Ant to figure that out. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, for all the great highlights CJ had that was on Twitter or whatever, on Instagram, like you would love for him to get to the line a few more times yeah. just get a couple of easy buckets. Like That's that, how Dame gets easies yeah. all the time. And that's how Dame gets 30 points a night. Like that, it really does add up over the you know course of the season, I think, also. So I think for Ant, and he knows this, right? Chauncey's called him out and said he needs to work on this. I think he'd be better, but that's the one spot that I am concerned about because that is the hardest part in the NBA is to go from that good score to an elite score and be able to get to the free throw line. Yeah, so much to talk about. I am ready for Trailblazers basketball. Am I crazy? Who should start at the three? Nasir Little, Justice Winslow, Josh Hart. 503-417-7575. Of course, on Twitter, at Peter Sampson. S-A-M-P-S-O-N. We'll go away come back. Talk just a little more NBA at the bottom of the hour. Uh, if you're down in Eugene or a Ducks fan, of course, anywhere else in the state, I got a treat for you. Former Ducks uh, player, Brush Prairie legend, Nick Cody, going to call in. He's uh, he's He was at practice last week. I'm going to pick his brain a little bit, see what he's allowed to tell me. And uh, he's promoting something pretty cool. I want to uh, just catch up with him. He's a great friend of the show. I am Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. I am Peter Sampson, and I'm in for John Canzano. This is the bald face truth on the BFT Radio Network. Appreciate you rolling with me all this week. Nick Cody, former Oregon Duck, going to join us here in about 10 minutes. Do want to talk a little NBA before that. Now, we teased uh, some of the uh, leaked uh, NBA schedule details. We gave you the Christmas games. Uh, you know, there's you're going to have Warriors-Grizzlies in a rematch. You're going to have uh, um, the 76ers taking on the Knicks. Of course, you have the, the uh, Denver Nuggets and the Phoenix Suns, on and on. You know, it's kind of the typical uh, Christmas schedule. And uh, later in the program, it might yesterday, it might have even been during the local show, The Pulse at 6 o'clock, uh, word came out for uh, the Kings opening the season October 19th against the Trailblazers. Presumably that would be Portland's opener as well, considering the actual season opens up on the 18th. They're not on national TV firing off a back-to-back. So that's how the Blazers are going to open their season. We don't know if it's a road or home game. And uh, just bear in mind, if it's a road game, the Blazers always, always have one inexplicable loss in Sacramento per year. 
And I know, you know, some very smart people are telling me that Sacramento's good this year. Yeah, no, they're not. They could have Wilt Chamberlain, Shaquille O'Neal, Michael Jordan, uh, you know, Jerry West, prime Jerry West, prime Kobe Bryant. It doesn't matter. They're the Sacramento Kings, the Sacramento Kings, the Excremento Kings. It's not a good franchise. That being said, they are taking on the Trailblazers on their opening night. So the schedule will officially be released tomorrow. We kicked it around yesterday. We're looking especially early in the Trailblazer season as they look to integrate their new pieces, really solidify whatever their defensive scheme is going to be, the offensive sets, and uh, just sort of integrate and build that chemistry. And if they have a tough go of it early, uh, schedule-wise, they're probably going to have a tough go of it in wins and losses. So if you're a Blazers fan, you're kind of hoping for uh, maybe a, a gentle lead-in for uh, two or three weeks with the occasional you know, difficult opponent there while they figure things out. And ahead of the schedule being released tomorrow, uh, the news came out today. There are going to be no NBA games on Election Day. That's to encourage fans to uh, you know, do their civic duty and vote. Certainly, you should be able to manage a vote and uh, watching NBA basketball on the same day. But I love the idea that, you know what, if somehow you can't manage that, well, now you're free. You you can go ahead and vote and not worry that you're going to miss the Jazz or the Blazers or the Nuggets or whoever your team is. I love this idea. The day before, all 30 teams are in action. And I I don't have the dates in front of me. Is that November 7th and 8th? That might be 8th and 9th. I don't have it in front of me. That's going to be the 7th and the 8th because yeah, it's so always the, a the, Tuesday. Is the every, every team's going to play the 7th. Exactly. Which is the night before the midterm, and then on the 8th, which is election day. Exactly. So I love that idea. I mean, especially because, look, the only real downside to that is can you swing it? Is every arena available that day before they were able to do it? It's a great idea. Fellas, I don't really see any downside to this. Real quickly, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I encourage everyone to vote. So, like, you know, no matter what side you're on, I, I want everyone to have a voice and have, you know, that's the American way to do it. So I think it's a good idea by the NBA. You know, they want to do that. And, you know, there's other things in there that say the teams are going to, you know, show, you know, tell everyone how to best process to go vote and do all this kind of stuff. So I'm okay with it. You know, the NBA is trying to, you know, just be a part of everything. So, I, I again, like you said, I don't think there's any downside to it. Um is it going to matter in the end? I don't know, but I think just it's good optics for the NBA. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that it's obviously important to have people vote, and obviously there's a lot of uh, really important voices in the NBA when it comes to you know uh, encouraging people to vote. However, here, here's my take on this. Like, I feel like this NBA schedule rollout has been pretty emblematic of what this entire NBA offseason has been. We've talked about it with the Kevin Durant thing. It's been very apparent this NBA offseason that the NBA is trying really hard to stay relevant when it's not relevant right now. It's the offseason. It's dead right now, and yet it feels like it's forcing its way onto our Twitter timelines, onto our radio segments. You know, like with the Kevin Durant news, there's just random news that doesn't even matter at certain times. And... You know, with this NBA schedule release, we're just they're kind of slowly teasing us, and then they finally announced when the NBA schedule is going to come out come out all at once, and that's tomorrow at noon. But they've been kind of slowly introducing some uh, some different headlines. You know, when are the Christmas Day games going to be? When uh, you know, here's the election story. So like the NBA, you can kind of see they're, they the NBA really prides itself on being relevant in the off season, 
and they've been it, it's became really clear this offseason with the Kevin Durant thing and with the schedule thing. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely ready to see what that schedule looks like. I'm ready to play some games. We're just two months away, almost exactly, getting through the summer. I mean, don't get me wrong, summer is the best season, but man, you move into the fall, you've got college football, you've got NFL, you've got NBA. I mean, pretty shortly you've got NHL if that if that's your thing. I'm ready for it all to begin again. I mentioned college football on the other side. It, uh, Nick Cody's going to give us a call. He's uh, he's going to talk about a cool event that he's taking part in, and uh, we'll talk a little Ducks football with him, see what he thinks about the team this year. We'll look at the schedule, and uh, he was at practice last week. I saw that on Twitter. I, I don't know what I can ask him. I don't know what's basically embargoed. I'll try. I'm not going to press him too hard, don't get me wrong, but I'm just going to see if there are any tidbits he's allowed to share with what he saw. Nick Cody coming up next on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. I am Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. So good to be with you. I hope you're having a great Tuesday wherever you're at. College football season is approaching. I'm ready, man. I'm so ready to stop talking about scheduling and recruiting and NIL and conferences and all this stuff, TV deals, and I'm ready to just get to some games. I have a feeling this guy might be ready to Joining us now, Brush Prairie legend, of course, and former Ducks football player Nick Cody. Nick, how you doing, man? I'm doing great today, Peter. How are you, man? I'm fantastic. It's good to talk to you. By the way, by the way, I appreciate I, you were you were ha- not hassling me, but you were strongly encouraging me to see everything everywhere all at once when it popped back into theaters a couple weeks ago. I did it. I get the hype, man. I got to ask you, how many times have you seen that flick? Uh, well, in theaters, I saw it five times. I did not go back to see it again, but. Uh, I'm, I've considered it, uh, even though it's still up a couple places near me. But uh, and then I, I've probably watched it. Uh, I've bought it on demand, so I, I've watched it at least five times at home too. So love that movie, love the message, and uh, love like sharing it with people because uh, you, you get different perspectives from everyone. Yeah, it was one of those things. I had no idea what I was in for. I mean, I, I understood the basic sort of multiverse jumping, and that was it. But surprisingly touching, very cool, aesthetically pleasing. And I imagine, Nick, it's probably one of those ones that uh, you pick stuff up every that you didn't see before every time you rewatch it. Everything, and then you think about that, and then uh, the budget of $25 million, and you start seeing, like, man, how much money they saved, cut corners, and just did really good camera work and actual physical action that you haven't really seen since major Jackie Chan movies and some of those fight scenes. I was telling people that uh, Alpha Wayman would probably whoop Batman's ass in all the people that are in movies this year. And uh, they don't believe me until they see him whoop everybody with a fanny pack. I love it, man. Nick Cody joining the program. Uh, he's got a cool event coming up this weekend. I want to talk about that in just one moment. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Were you at Ducks practice? Were you down in Eugene last week or over the weekend? Yes, sir. The hype, the pictures, it's all true. Uh, Dan Lanning and uh, staff have been really, really great about reaching out to alumni and letting us know if we want to go to practice, all we got to do is let them know uh, 24 hours. They send us a practice schedule. And, uh, hey, I saw a bunch of people there, a bunch of people on the guest list that I, I didn't quite see or get to get in touch with. But 
Uh, it was a great time. Uh, the hardest thing for me was figuring out everybody's new number. Uh, that that was really confusing for for me, especially because you know as you get older, all those numbers start to look the same as they get skinnier and skinnier. Yeah, without a doubt. Now, anything you can share from practice? Obviously, I'm not going to press you too hard here, but is there anything that that you saw that impressed you or really stood out or, frankly, you just enjoyed? Yeah, I enjoyed it all. I was impressed overall with uh, especially the defensive focus. And, you know, a lot of people have been asking me questions, and it's like I can't give up information because I don't have it. I'm not a talent evaluator. I don't know what I'm looking at some of the time, and I don't know the schemes. But what I do know about football is I know the team's competing at a really, really high level, which you want to see. And, uh, I, you know, everybody asks the quarterback question. And uh, like I told JC and one of his columns that uh, he put out on Monday, uh, you know, I, I don't know who's going to play, but I know who I want to play, and that would be me. I think I could go get a couple Heisman votes just sitting back there slinging the rock 25 times a game because that's the level of skilled players we have out there on the field from what I saw. And even more so, I'm excited about the defense and the defensive intensity. And uh, I think, you know, we have a lot of depth in places. And this season I'm so excited to just see uh, what we have and uh, when we unleash our defense. And, you know, honestly, just the biggest thing for me is uh, – you know, health, that's always a huge thing. And, and the last couple of years, it, it's been really hard to keep guys healthy. But especially on the defensive side of the ball, man, we got a lot of physical freaks. And uh, I'm excited to go see them go out there and perform because it felt like everybody was making plays on the offensive and defensive side of the football when I was there. And, um, you know, they, they don't seem satisfied with that either, which is great. Yeah, I love that. And you you talk about physical freaks of, you know, Dorless and Johnson and obviously Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, you mentioned health there. I mean, we've been waiting. He's got the skill, you know, obviously back-to-back, uh, you know, season-ending injuries. We got that one game against Fresno State last year where he looked like a monster. He was packed to a freshman of the week that, uh, that year. Man, health, that that's the name of the game, Nick, because they just look so freaky on that defensive side of the ball. And it's, you know, people don't even know yet because a lot of the transfer guys that they've brought in, I mean, they look the part, they play the part. And uh, big shout-out to, uh, I believe, Casey Rogers, the Nebraska transfer. He gave me a shout-out to my hair, so uh, got to throw it back to him. But all those guys that came in are just freaks. I, I really love uh, the level of talent that they brought in in the portal. I love it. Nick Cody joining us. We're going to talk about an event he's participating in this weekend in just a moment. Obviously, big game right off the bat. They're facing Georgia, quote-unquote, neutral site. Now, Nick, you've played in a huge game or two in your career. Man, Maybe share what it's like as a player to prepare for something as big time as this. Well, I mean, right now the team is preparing – for themselves you know you're trying to build the team up in camp but when you get to that georgia week and uh, i know it because i played uh you know in uh cowboy stadium uh you know at&t or whatever they call it uh right there in uh fort worth and uh, got to play lsu so that was basically you know a road game more for us and i, I gotta tell you i was playing right guard at one moment and uh, even with darren thomas's deep deep voice i looked back and had to just physically look at him to hear the snap count and what the play was because Looking forward at the defense, you really couldn't hear with all that those LSU fans. Probably about seventy percent of the state stadium was LSU fans, and I'm sure they can they can expect some of the same in uh, Georgia. 
Yeah, it's it's going to be an exciting time. You know they're going to be up for it. Now, again, kind of, you know, still being in touch with the program, obviously Lanning being great with all the alumni ex-players being down at practice. Is there anyone, you know, obviously we just named, you know, three, four, five, you know, kind of freaky guys on the defensive end. Who's who's going to surprise some people this year? Maybe a guy that, that the fan base isn't really, you know, talking about like a Sewell or a Flow or a Doorless. Who do you think is going to maybe pop a little bit? Uh, I mean, maybe not right away, but a guy I was really impressed with because, you know, I, I watch up front was uh, Josh Connerly for a guy coming in, reclassifying. And, uh, you know, you could tell physically he looked a little bit like a freshman in terms of size, but the way he moved was really, really impressive. Uh, I'm not going to put too much pressure on him. You know, hopefully he doesn't have to play significant minutes this year, and that's a guy that can get in the rotation, uh, you know, with the four-game redshirt rule or something. But he was really impressive because uh, if you were to take me out of uh, – you know, senior year of high school and put me in a fall camp, I, I would have folded and uh, not played near as well as he did, especially in pass protection. Uh, I think on the defensive side of the ball, man, uh, geez, I think just our entire defensive line, I think it's a step up from what we've seen in the past. Uh, can't name enough guys, especially the transfer guys coming in. Uh, it just looked like, man, just really, really beefed up up front. Uh, there, there's going to be somebody that, that comes off and has a big year and steps up from that group. And, uh, you know, who knows who it could be, but they have a ton of leaders out there. I love it. Nick Cody joined in the program for another couple minutes. And, you know, I always jokingly refer to you as Brush Prairie's finest. But related to that, Brush Prairie's finest, tell me about this cool-looking event that you're doing this weekend. What's going on? Yeah, so anybody that's in the, you know, southwest Washington, Portland area wants to come out, uh, see me embarrass myself in a game on on 7-on-7 with current high school players at Hawkinton High School. Come on out, Rush Prairie, Washington. Uh, the game, I think, will kick off at uh, 11, 11.30, sometime between there. But, uh, yep, been trying to trying to warm up for that so I can get some touchdowns. Uh, there'll be a couple other events. I think you'll be able to run a 40, kick a field goal, all kinds of fun stuff. And I'm going to be hanging around for the rest of the day if anybody wants to take pictures, uh, get some stuff autographed. Uh, I know I get requests all the time. I don't come back home as much as I used to, so uh, – it's a great way to connect back with the community and, uh, you know, all the proceeds go to support uh, hockey to football and any support we can get for that. I, I really appreciate because, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today or, you know, at, at Oregon at the time I was, if it weren't for that school and deciding to have a brand new football program when it did. And uh, I, I want to do all I can to support it. I love that. It's always good to give back any way you can, you know, wh- whether it's financially, your time, using your name to, to just help. I think it's a great idea. Now, is this, uh, is this a family event, adult only? How is this working? Yeah, yeah, all ages. Uh, you know, okay. bring the kids out, especially if they want to run the 40, kick a field goal afterwards. And, uh, yep, we'll be going against – it'll be a bunch of the old guys going against some, some of the current high school players and just a fun, you know, probably not too competitive for everybody but me. But uh, it, it'll be a fun game and a fun day. Everybody come out. I think it's $5 at the door. And uh, that all those proceeds help go to Hawkinson football. That's five dollars at the door Saturday, eleven to one p.m. at the Hawkinson High School Stadium. Don't want to miss that. Say what's up to Nick Cody, bro. Are are you seeing Coheed and Cambria today? Yes, sir. I'm standing outside Marymore Park right now, just in one spot where I'm not going to get too much of a breeze so you can hear me. I am so pumped right now. It's a beautiful day and a great day for an outdoor concert. How's the newest record? I haven't heard it yet. Oh, fantastic. I love it, man. You got to check it out. Um, 
I, I can recommend it as highly as I, I did everything everywhere all at once. I'll say that. Okay, good to know. I'll check that out. You know, in fact, you have my word, Nick Cody. I'll check that out right when I'm off the air. Appreciate your time, as always. Appreciate your candor. And I appreciate you helping out the community, man. Go see Nick Cody this Saturday at Hawkinson. Seven on seven current players versus alumni and coaches. There will be merch. You can meet Nick. Photos, autographs, you name it. Appreciate your time, man. Enjoy the show. Yeah, thank you, Peter, and uh, have a great day, everybody, in the in the Portland and Vancouver area. Go Ducks. There he is. Go Ducks. Nick Cody, appreciate the time as always. All right, that was good stuff. I love that, and I know he, I wasn't going to press him too hard on the what he saw at practice because, I mean, you don't want to be that guy. It's a family. You play, you play at a university. You go back. It's family. That's why they say once a duck always a duck. So you're not going to be the still a duck that goes out and said, oh, so-and-so was getting the first team snaps and it's going to shock everyone. You're not going to do that. But I, I I appreciate that he's still involved. I love that he's helping out his community, guys. Yeah, I mean, you pushed you pushed a little bit. You asked for a name, you know, who's, who's really standing out. So uh, you, you did your job. You did your job here, so I commend you for that. But yeah, I mean, he, he kept a little close to the vest, but you know, just helping out the community anyway, it's just uh, so good to see. So yeah, I mean, just awesome. Yeah, great, great stuff. Appreciate Nick Cody's time. And, uh, yeah, Oregon football getting underway in just a couple weeks. Very excited. All right, we'll go away, come back, wrap up our number one on the other side. So much to get to. Could the Oregon Ducks be landing one of the biggest possible names in uh, in basketball? Maybe. I'll tell you about that next. To the bald face truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with the pulse from six to seven on seven fifty. The game. Welcome back to the program. Sampson in for Canzano. It's the BFT. Appreciate you rolling with me. It's National Tell a Joke Day. There's a day for everything. We know this. You know, it's like National Hot Dog Day the other day. It's always you know National Donut Day. National French Roast Coffee Day. Well, you got to do you have a go-to joke since it is National Joke Day? <laughs> well, <laughs> radio appropriate. I, I've gotten in trouble a couple times for some jokes. I've one was a very tasteless Eric Clapton joke that I warned you ahead of time was tasteless, and you still complained heavily after I told it. And then the other is, I have this joke that it's sort of a <laughs> I don't I can't describe it without ruining it. It's the wasp joke that I, I told it on air a couple years ago, and it was very divisive. People either loved it. I got so much response, and everyone was either, you know, just cracking up or livid with me. Or, and that's how you know it's a good joke, if you're splitting the audience. Because if everyone's laughing, no one's laughing hard. You know right, what I right. mean? And if you have half the people upset with you and the other half laughing so hard they have tears in their eyes that's how you know it's landed and i've always debated telling that joke again maybe i'll do it later today i might tell my legendary wasp joke it has it's been like three years (laughs) since i've told it on the air i may i may not i might need to be talked into it do you have a go-to you got a go-to yeah i got a go-to dad joke so it is appropriate uh what do you call a person with five eyes, three noses, and two mouths? Ugly. I... <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. What did the uh, What did the sushi roll say to the bee? I don't know. 
Wasabi. Nice. Nice. <laughs> those are terrible. Those are, those are terrible. I like that. Okay, you know what? We'll do this. Maybe next segment. Don't worry. I'm not going to break format. I do have a show to do, and I have things to talk about. If someone's got a good joke, it is National Joke Day. I'll put you on. Keep it clean. Keep it safe. Keep it. You can go PG-13. That's okay. You can't go R, and you can't do the PG-13 where they drop one F-bomb in the movie and they sneak in under R. You can't do that either. This is a no F-bomb show. It can be a little racy, not too racy. Okay? 503-417-7575. I have a feeling I might regret this, but that's okay. You know, my boss just emailed me and told me I'm doing a great job filling in for John. So I said, oh, thanks, boss, man. I think I'm just going to crap all over that and let the callers take over. Now let's just tell jokes. Yeah, 503-417-7575. If you have stage fright, you can tweet it at me, at Peter Sampson. S-A-M-P-S-O-N is where you can tweet the show. I may tell the wasp joke. I, I mean, it's money. I, I feel like it's money. It's one of the funniest things ever. But, again, there's an art form to it. And at the end, a lot of people are going to be upset with me. And as much as I personally don't care, in fact, I kind of like it. I relish in booze. You know what I mean? Like, I, I used to be in a punk rock band. You know what I mean? People booing you, spitting on you. Yeah, bring it on, losers. Let's go. I relish that. That being said, my job is to entertain and keep people entertained. And people that pay me frown upon it sometimes when uh, when I'm when I'm uh, annoying a certain segment. So I, I got it. I'm debating it. I'm weighing it. Maybe I'll discuss it with you guys off the air. Should I do this? Should I not? It's not. It's not like it's dirty. It's not, you know, you know, inappropriate language, not clean. It's completely clean, completely clean. You could tell this joke to a five-year-old. They wouldn't get it, but you could do it. So we'll see. 503-417-7575 is the number to call if you dare. You just got to make it good. Cheesy is okay. I'm not a pun guy. I'm not a pun guy. But uh, if you got something good, I won't judge you there. I'll, I'll, I'll take a good pun, maybe a, a riddle, maybe a knock-knock joke or two. Whatever you got, it's all good. It's all good. So as I go up against the, uh, the top I, of the I, hour. I'll give you one more here, Peter, real quick. Okay, real While quick. While Sean's on the phone, uh, what does the Blazer fan do after they win the NBA championship? Wake up. Turn off the Xbox. Oh, <laughs> that's a good one, too. I love that. That is solid. Okay, I see the phone lines are starting to uh, starting to warm up here. 503-417-7575 is the number to call. If you got a good joke, lay it on me. If you're on hold, stay there. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Appreciate you listening to the program here in Portland, of course, on 750 The Game, down in Eugene Fox Sports, Eugene Powerhouse Signal there. Of course, Klamath Falls, 960. That's what my Basin, and of course, Roseburg, fairly new to the show. Appreciate you as well. We'll be back with our number two ahead. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Gonzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. Hour number two of the bald face truth. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. I debated the wasp joke. 
I'm still on the fence. It may happen. It may not. I'm going to do that thing where I hype it up to the where it can never live up to the hype. But uh, I'm debating it. 503-417-7575. If you've got a good joke you want to share, it is National Tell a Joke Day. And I figured, why not give people a statewide platform? I'm asking you to behave yourself. It can be a little bit edgy. That's okay. No F. No S. No MF. No PMQ. Yeah, you're going, wait, what's that? It's common, nothing. I'm just messing with sense. you. Just common sense. Yeah, just common sense. Be cool. Yeah, just be cool. This is a trusting relationship. This is a this is a, a job where it's one-way communication. I'm trying to break boundaries, break the fourth wall, and turn it into a two-way communication gig. That being said, Stephen Vaughn, do you know where the dump button is? I do. Okay, I, I just fact, making sure. I actually had to hit it one day uh, with Kinzano, so it wasn't him. It was another one else, but I had to hit it, so I'm ready to go with the dump w- button. Was it Bruce Barnum from Pete Portland State University? Uh, no, it was not. Okay, because that's when, uh, you know, when John's doing interviews, that's an opportunity not to get, you know, too inside baseball, but we have off-air work that we need to do, and when he has a great guest, that's an opportunity where you go, hey, for 15 minutes, I'm not going to be on the air. I can take care of some of this back-end stuff. There are certain guests where you can't take care of the off-air work. You have to listen and make sure you're riding that dumb button. And I love Bruce Barnum. In fact, I just got season tickets to Portland State football. But Bruce Barnum, I, I wear that dump button out with Bruce Barnum. Yeah, it, it was uh, actually former NBA player Frank Rakowski. Oh, yeah. Oh, telling the story. I, I had I, that I happen, to too. Go. He, uh, we had Brick like six weeks ago, and I was on, and it, I had to hit it. I almost ran out of dump. I think he thought he was on a podcast. <laughs> that was unbelievable. All right, man. Let's get to the phone lines. I'm looking for a good joke here. And I'm and full disclosure, if it's good, it's mine now. And I'm going to start telling people as though it's mine. 503-417-7575. In order of longest hold, let's go to Dallas, Oregon. Dave's in Dallas. Dave, what's up, man? What's your joke? Yeah, uh... Okay, you're driving down the road and you see roadkill, possum, or a raccoon, and you see crow out there pecking at it and stuff. But you know why you never see the dead crow out there on the road? Why's that? There's always two in the tree telling them, caw, caw. Okay, Dave. I appreciate that. Uh, that is uh, that was David Dallas. That's solid. I think we're off to a good start here. I like that. It was funny. It was clean, and it was to the point. Yeah, that was about as good as we could have expected for the first joke. Yeah, yeah. It's, it could probably only go downhill from here, but let's just keep going. I think right? batting leadoff is tough. That's why Wade Boggs did it. He you know what base. I'm saying? Yeah, he got yeah. a base. All right, let's let's go to Eugene. Listening on Fox Sports, Eugene. Rob has a joke. What's your joke, Rob? So it's how to catch a polar bear. You cut a circle four feet wide in the ice, and then you take a green pea, and you set a pea every six to 12 inches around that hole. And when the bear uh, goes to take a pea, you kick him in the ice hole. (laughs) Okay. Rob, I appreciate the call. Cutting it close, but again, that falls within the parameters I set. I appreciate the joke, Rob. Stephen Vaughn likes that one. That's solid. That got me in the right spot. Yeah, see, and and again, I'm not a pun guy, but that's pretty solid. I, I enjoyed that. Kick him in the ice hole. That's that's good. 503-417-7575. It is National Tell-A-Joke Day, and I am letting you bring some humor to the program. 
We're having fun. It's summer. There's barely any sports going on. Yeah, I have a sports take for days. I'm doing four hours today, which means I have seven hours of sports content. I always whittle it down as I go. But you know what? Let's break format. Let's have a good time. Let's do it. Mike is in Aloha. He's got a joke. Mike, what's your joke? It's a children's joke. Okay? Okay. Tell your joke. Why did the, why did the cow stand on the marshmallows? I don't know. So it wouldn't drown in the hot chocolate. Okay. All right, Mike. That's solid. See, I, I like that. It's uh, Stephen. It's sort of a, a magic, uh, magic surrealism there. You know what I mean? Sean loved that one. Sean loved that one. All right. Appreciate it uh, from uh, from Mike and Aloha there. That's very, very good. If we can go ahead and uh, put Mike back on hold. All right. Thank you. It's a little tricky because uh, our phone screening software, for some reason, I can't control it manually in here. We got another one. 503-417-7575. Let's go to Myrtle Creek. All right. Let's go to Daryl in Myrtle Creek. What's your joke? What was Bruce Lee's favorite drink? <laughs> I don't know. What was it? What up? <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here, Daryl. I love that. That's great stuff. All right. <laughs> what was Bruce Lee's favorite drink? What? Ah, very, very solid. This is putting put me in the mood, Stephen. I might have to tell my uh, my wasp joke here in just a moment. We'll see. We'll see. I'm ready for it. If you I'll, do it again, if it's a good one, I'm stealing it. I'm gonna be honest. These have all been good. It beats all of these. These have been good. Again, no disrespect to anyone that shared uh, their humor, shared their joke. Every one of these has been solid. I'll be honest, it's been better than I was expecting. It's been good. I'm still going to win this bad boy, though. That's I'm what happens you. when we have low expectations. So, Great job, callers. I'm proud of everybody. Yeah, let's keep it going. 503-417-7575. Paul is in Northeast Portland. Is this Paul Knowles? That's Paul Knowles. Oh, the mayor. What's up, Paul? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Excellent. Do you have a joke for us today? Yeah, well, I'm 91 years old, and I just figured out how I knew I was getting old. How's that? You you wake up in the morning with the morning after feeling, but you didn't do nothing the night before. <laughs> At least I have that to look forward to, Paul. I appreciate you calling. How is everything? Are you well? Thanks to God. Well, we are really blessed. Really blessed. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Appreciate the phone call, Paul. That is Paul, the mayor of Northeast Portland, if you need him. Love Mr. Knowles. He calls in from time to time. He shares wonderful uh, stories from uh, his days as a business owner, the, the old days of the trailblazers. Paul has seen so much in this city. Always, always welcome a call from him. Let's go to Vancouver. Jeremy, what's your joke? All right, what do you call a fish with no eyes? I don't know. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> That's Jeremy in Vancouver. Appreciate the phone call. That's solid. What do you call a fish with no eyes? That's good. Is it? Yeah, I like that one. I loved it. You loved that. You like the kind of the cheesy one, don't you? I like the cheesy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I've, I've read that one numerous times in my kids' jokes book, so oh, I, I knew yeah. where it was going. That's a key when you have kids. You get the, the book of like 100 or 250 kids' jokes, yeah. and half of them are garbage. But, Terrible. But you can mine out enough that your kids will think you're the funniest person in the world. They won't even realize that you're cribbing these from somewhere else until they're, you know, 8, 9, 10 years old. Wait a minute. What? You're not a comedian? No, I'm not.
All right, should I do this? Should I do this? Just do it. All right. So that means we're going to run long on this segment, so bear with me. So once upon a time, let's say uh, in in southeast Portland years ago, just a typical southeast neighborhood, you know, ranch-style housing where every house looks the same. On the front porch, up in the top left corner, there was a wasp's nest, okay? And in that nest was a whole community of wasps living their wasp lives. You know, you had bakers, doctors, butchers, bus drivers, everything you could possibly imagine in this wasp community. And in the back right corner of that wasp community lived a family of wasps. There was a mother, a father, and their son. And the son, he showed such an aptitude for learning at an early age. He was very, very bright and gifted. And he, uh, you know, he's in high school and as a freshman in high school, he's already as part of student government and he plays uh, varsity lacrosse and clearly the future is bright for this wasp and he continues to live his uh, blessed life in this hive and he gets out of high school And he's accepted to multiple colleges. And he has a difficult time choosing where he's going to go. He was accepted to uh, Princeton. He chose Brown. He chose Brown over Princeton. And based on his time in student government, he decided that he wanted to uh, study political science in college. And so the WASP takes the big trip across the United States, goes to Brown University, and is a freshman in college and begins majoring in poli-sci. Now, it has a great year. The Wasp studies so hard, very dedicated, because it knows, look, no work, no reward, right? You got you get out what you put in. And so this Wasp went through a year, took its humanities classes, 100-level political science, and did really well. And then the school year ends. And over the summer, the Wasp has a chance to uh, intern with a state representative. And so he doesn't go back home. He stays in the area, and it's low-level campaigning work, and it's not, you know, a national rep. It's just for the state. And he's handing out flyers and registering voters and just doing logistic things for uh, campaign stump speeches. And then his sophomore year starts. He goes through another year of college, and this year the internship opportunity is even bigger. After the sophomore year, we're talking an actual United States representative. He interns again. This is great for his career. This is open because it's not just the job. It's not just the experience. If, As you know, if you're in an internship, it's about the networking. And this WASP is hanging out and working with the power players, the movers and shakers of the United States government. And so... He has a little bit more meaningful work this year, but that means that he can't go back home to his hive on the front porch of a house in southeast Portland. And so junior year, the same thing. Studies hard, does some extracurricular activities, takes 18 credits a term. And then this year, the summer internship is for a senator, a U.S. senator. And this is big time. And so he puts his wasp nose to the grindstone and works so hard, meets people, shakes hands, does all that. And finally, the senior year comes through. This wasp has not been home in three and a half years. The wasp graduates with honors, 
interns again at the end of college for the U.S. Senator. Senator, the senator offers the wasp a job. Says, how would you like to work for me, not just in my campaign, but actually in my office? Help me draft legislation. legislation. Help me fundraise. Help me reach out and listen to my constituents. This is a big opportunity, young wasp. I hope you'll consider it. And the wasp said, I would be honored. All I want to do is make a difference in this country. I love it so much. I would be honored. But please, before I start, may I go back home for two weeks? It's been so, so long since I've seen my family. They did everything for me. My mother worked a second job so I wouldn't have to take out student loans. They read to me every night so that I could develop my critical thinking skills so I can make the right decisions and not go down some unfortunate path that I saw so many of my wasp friends take. And I'd look at them and go, well, there but for the grace of God would go I. I've been so lucky, Senator. Please, please, before I devote my life to you and your cause, please let me go home and visit my family. And he said, yeah, sure, okay. And so the wasp takes, after four years, the long trip back to the West Coast. And he flies into the neighborhood, and he goes to the house where on the front porch, on the top left, was the hive. And he enters the hive. And if you've ever left your hometown for an extended period of time, when you return, you know everything's the same, but everything is different, isn't it? And that's what this wasp saw when he walked in. It was like everything was right where he left it, but it was just slightly changed. The children were a little bit older. So were the uh, grandmothers and grandfather wasps. And he was so excited. And he set down his bags and walked through. And as he begins walking through this community, everyone started recognizing him. They said, you're back. It's so great to see you. He said, thank you. And he's shaking hands. And he's trying to walk into the back corner of the community so he can see his mother and his father, whom he hasn't even seen in four years. And everyone's slapping him on the back and congratulating him. It's clear he is the pride of this little wasp town. And he makes his way through. And at this point, there's a huge congregation of wasps around him. And he's walking and walking. And as he gets to the front door, he opens it up. And at that point, there are dozens, dozens of wasps behind him. And you can hear them saying, well, let's have a party. We have to celebrate. He's back. And he kind of puts that out of his mind. And he goes in the house. And he sees his mother. She's wearing her reading glasses, her hair a little more gray than it was when he left. And she looks up, and immediately a single tear drops down her wasp cheek. And she says, you're home. And he says, I'm home. And they embrace. And his father comes out, beaming, so proud of his son. And he shakes his hand. And they say, tell us everything about your adventures. We're so proud of you. And he begins to tell them about his adventures, learning the ins and outs of U.S. government, learning how power is actually accumulated and wielded in this great nation. They shared with him clippings from the state representative, the U.S. representative, and the senator that he's working for. They were tracking him from afar. They may not have spoken often, but they never forgot him. So they catch up for a while, and then they hear a commotion outside, and they open the front door, and it's clear that a giant wasp party has started because the prodigal son has returned to the hive. 
He says, well, I'm very exhausted, but I certainly need to come out and spend some time. Everyone is shaking his hand. Everyone is smiling. It's a joyous occasion. And he realizes he's so hungry. And they're wheeling in some food. And, of course, it's just going to be delicious. And then he realizes more than that, he's so thirsty. It was such a long trip. He's had to talk so much. He just wants something to drink. And he looks where the refreshments are. And he sees there's a, there's a keg of beer. And it looks so good. Ice cold, sitting in a bathtub filled with ice. But the line is unbelievably long. And he goes, okay, maybe not that. that. That won't hydrate me anyway. And then next to the keg of beer is a bowl of punch. Delicious and red, sticky sweet. But there's a huge line of children waiting to scoop into the punch bowl and get some delicious punch. And then he sees another bowl of punch. And there was no punchline. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson here for Canzano. Yeah, I just took National Tell a Joke Day and I just S'd all over it. Yeah, I think we're uh, we're on to new topics now. No, we absolutely are. Tell me that's not gold, though. I mean, it was it was funny. I got a couple of reviews uh, from people listening in the car. They hated it, right? They hated it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> my co- my cousin's quote: "That wasp joke may have been the worst radio I've ever listened to. I should just drove home in silence." You should have. You should have. Tell him he's not allowed to listen anymore. That's friend. definitely. <laughs> texted me. I just wasted so much. <laughs> It's not a waste because the thing is, is you can take that and pay it forward and you can jack with someone's day when you want to get their attention, hold it so tightly for 15 minutes and then go, yeah, no payoff. Well, the best part of you right afterward, you're like, yeah, what I did it the first time I did it for like 25 minutes. Yeah. So I can't even imagine doing it longer. So, was that all improvised? Did you memorize like the fact that this wasp went to college? It's, it's, a lo- it's like a loose outline. And then it's just how long do you want to stretch it for? Right. The longest I've gone, not on air, just ruining one of my friend's days was like half an hour. You just oh tell, yeah, it's good so t- storytelling. So a lot more happens in that yeah. college timeline. Maybe he got another internship. Maybe the wasp got a girlfriend or something. And then you can keep stretching, but it has to end at the party. Ex- exactly. You have to end with there's no punchline. That's that's the key thing I is there it. is no punchline. It it's an anti-joke. No, it's not inappropriate. The way it's you just were divisive. About it, it said you got in trouble last time. It's like it's kind of a little bit edgy. It's, I, it's I, because fifty percent of of anyone, anyone, no matter what audience, a radio audience, a a, a group in the living room, half the people like get it and love it and it's hilarious. It's an anti joke, and then the other half is why would you do that to me? You're a jerk. And so you know, it's it's a little bit divisive. Again, it's not for everyone. Yeah, Kennethson on Twitter. Yeah, that joke was terrible. Signed, Eric Clapton. I'm not telling the damn Clapton joke again. That is inappropriate, and I'm not okay. doing it. I regret doing it the first time. It's funny, but it's inappropriate. All right, let's talk some sports here. I have no regrets. I'll tell you that right now. And three years from now, four years from now, I'll tell it again. I will. It's going to have to be on in a, like a different time of the day if they've got me. You know, like if Rome retires and I'm on at 9:45 in the morning or something like that, that thing's going to come out again. It's going to be a good one when uh, you know when your kids get when your kid gets older and you tell mm-hmm. jokes in front of his friends. Hey, hey guys, want to hear a cool joke? 
There's like uh, exactly, cool. and the key cool. it, again, it's all about the storytelling. You have to draw people really in. They're leaning forward, they're listening, they're trying to figure it out, and then you just dash all hopes of entertainment. You just ruin it. Speaking of uh, someone that fails to entertain, Pittsburgh Pirates. They always fail to entertain. Uh, Rodolfo Castro was suspended for a game and fined. I saw this last week. He had his cell phone in his back pocket during the game, and it flew out of his pocket. He was he sliding into second. He was no, he was stealing third. That's what it was against the Diamondbacks. It was his first game back in the majors. It was his second stint with the Pirates this season. He said it was unintentional. Obviously, it was unintentional. I don't know why your phone is not in your locker back in the clubhouse. There's no reason to have that out there. And MLB with the sign stealing stuff, they're pretty strict. Like it seems like an innocent mistake, but they're really strict right now on electronic devices. Kind of a boneheaded move, you guys. Yeah, I mean, if you're Major League Baseball, you have to suspend him. I thought it would be longer because you can't have the integrity of the game be questioned. Right, like we saw in the NFL, Calvin really making you know whatever it was a fifteen hundred dollar parlay, he's out for a whole year. Like, and then Deshaun Watson only got six games. It makes sense because for the NFL, you can't have the integrity uh, question with betting and fans and all that kind of stuff. So baseball has to be careful with that kind of thing that they can't have someone cheating on the loose on the you know right there in the game. So I think it was the suspension was warranted. I actually thought it should have been more. Uh, so you, you can't make that kind of mistake, and I don't know how he does that. I don't know how he's. I don't know how he goes on the game, gets ready, he's like, oh yeah, my phone's in my pocket. I forgot. That's, yeah, that's just inexcusable. What's speaking of inexcusable and getting a shockingly light suspension? Did you see this Royals reliever, Amir Garrett? He he threw a drink at a fan, and he only got three games. And he's a pitcher. Like he, that's nothing for a reliever. It's that's really that's a one game suspension. Uh, it was a White Sox fan earlier this month, and so of course a video of the incident comes out, and he even responds on Twitter to the vid and saying the disrespect is insane at these parks from grown men talking slick. He gets suspended, and then he walks it back and apologizes. It doesn't help. He's had a bad season in KC. He spent five years with the Reds. It's his first year with the Royals. 460 ERA, 34 strikeouts, 24 walks, and 31 innings. This is a really light punishment. Three, because again, there's a line. And look, there's a line for fans. You can heckle. It's it's encouraged, frankly, but you can't go over the top with it. You can't be inappropriate. You don't talk about people's families. You don't call them inappropriate names. It's okay to say you suck, all that kind of stuff. But the flip side is players can't do anything to the fans. That is not okay. Obviously, we've seen the malice at the palace. We remember, you know, Vernon Maxwell here. You know, that happened like 30 years ago, whenever that was. It's a really big deal. And here, Amir Garrett getting three games for throwing a drink at a dude is wild. Yeah, I actually was at the Vernon Maxwell game uh, when I was a kid. I was, really? I was in second grade. And I remember I not we didn't know what was happening, but then we saw a commotion in the crowd and I asked my I asked my dad what happened and he's like, Well, I think Vernon Maxwell's in the crowd. And so then when we got home we were watching it all over, you know, we could see him, you know, mm-hmm. throw punches and stuff. So yeah, it was it was a wild time that, and then we just saw him get, you know, get escorted out of the arena. So that was that was cool. I'm I'm glad I was a part of that. But yeah, I mean you can't if you're a player you can't react, which is tough because we don't exactly know what the fans are saying. Like we saw in Indiana last year uh, with LeBron James. 
he had people get kicked out of the front row. We don't know exactly what they said. We also saw it in Indiana also with Nurk when he took that person's phone and threw it. Yeah. We don't know what was said. Also in Indiana, right? Yes, it was Indiana. Indiana. Well. So we like, know what Nurk alleged, but also there was pretty ample denial that that's right. what... It was interesting that I, I don't think in opposing... And I'm not saying it's not true, because I don't know I wasn't there, but it would be interesting that, you know, random... I mean, and look, I, I'm not to judge people, but I instantly judged these fans sitting courtside. Yeah. 1,700 miles away. Really? You're pulling that out of your hat this far later? Like, and everyone sitting around that was like, no, that's not what happened. I thought Nurt got off light, too. Yeah, it, it's just tough because we don't know exactly what was said. And so, in some instances, I think with the LeBron one, the rumor was they said something about his son and how he mm-hmm. should die, I believe. Something like that. And so it's like, well, yeah, then they should be kicked out of yeah. the game. You, yeah. can't, you can't have that on the court. We've seen it with Russell Westbrook in Utah. That kind of stuff can't happen. But like you said, you can you can heckle it. You say, you know what, you suck. As long as you keep it on the court and their ability in the game and not personal, I think everything's kind of fair game. And there's a difference, too, between going to the official and, and saying, hey, did you just hear that? I want them gone and throwing a drink in their face or throwing punches Correct. or taking their iPhone and smashing it. That's a massive difference. I fully support players. If someone is, is being racial or talking about their family, get them out of there. You can't do that. That's crossing the line. But, I mean, chucking a drink, that, like, yeah. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter what they said because you can cross a line, and I understand like snapping if someone says the right thing, but you still you can't do it. You got to just have them booted. But it, th- these guys are human. Like these athletes are human, and it, you know if if someone was to say something like that to me, like the human interaction, the human reaction is to act, you know, out of emotion. And these players are no different than us. You know, like how yeah, you got to think about like how would you feel if someone said something like that to you? You'd probably react pretty strongly. And, you know, maybe... <laughs> I wouldn't throw punches. I've had some things said to me. Yeah? Especially not with cameras on I, me, man, and not lawsuits uh, right. ready to rock. I'm just... All I'm saying here is that people act out of emotion. You know, yeah. like, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a fight or flight thing. Like, it's an impulsive thing. I'm sure he regrets it. But at the same time, three games may sound light, but I'm sure there was some pretty vulgar things said to him. And I think it was... I'm not going to... Yeah, you're right. I'm not going to justify throwing a drink at someone. But at the same time, like... It's natural to be very angry when someone says something very offensive to you. For sure. Yeah, with without a doubt. And it's tough because, look, you, you got to be the bigger person. All the cameras are on you. You're under the bright lights. You're making, the, you know, the millions of dollars. It's not fair that you need to withstand that stuff from some clowns. And, again, it, it all comes down to the line because there is a, man, you suck. You're a terrible hitter, blah, blah, blah. You're a waste of money. Get out of left field. All that stuff. That's fine, man. It's it's even, it's even kind of baked into sports. It's actually pretty great. I used to love, I minored in Italian in college. I loved heckling Marco Bellinelli in Italian and Danilo Gallinari because they weren't expecting that. You'd always get something from them when you did that. But you still, you can't, you can't cross that line. But on the flip side, if you're an athlete, you can't damage their property. You can't fight them. You can't throw something in your face. You can't do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, Westbrook, right? Like, Russell Westbrook got mad, and he actually complained that he hates that people call him Westbrook. Right. It's like Nurk did it in the playoff series when the Thunder were playing the Blazers, and it really got under his skin, right? Like, the fans were wanting him to shoot. When he shot the basketball, they were cheering because he wasn't going to make the shot. So, yeah, it's that that fine line, but we all know what that line is. It is when it reaches the family and it's race, something like that. You can't have that. Right. And the risk, of course, the uh, the malice at the palace is what everyone's trying to avoid. And the inevitable lawsuits 
that would come along with that. So if you're a league, you, you're you very, very sensitive to this, which is why it surprises me that here in the MLB, we're talking three games. And again, we don't know the extenuating circumstances. Maybe it was this guy was saying absolutely abhorrent things, and he's lucky he only got a drink thrown in his face. And you go, yeah, you can't do it, so we're going to give you three games, and we're going to fine you a little bit, but we'll just call it good there. 503-417-7575 is the number to call. Let's take a phone call real quick. Old school Samson. I, Art's in Portland. He wants to talk about it. What's up, Art? Hey, Peter. Yeah, I remember uh, I got two examples, but I, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, it was uh, when Patty Mills was still on the Spurs. Mm. And someone said something horrible, like racist to him. And I think they ejected the fan. And the next day, LeBron came out and was, like, standing up for the league and saying, you know, we got to put up with all this racial stuff sometimes. And I remember it was just a big issue. Um, and the one I remember witnessing, I was at a <clears throat> Oakland A's game when I was a teenager. And so the other team hit a home run and guy caught the ball. And from then, you know, I'm sitting, like, back of left field and some guy starts going, throw it back, throw it back, throw it back. And it kept going for a few innings. They're trying to get this guy to throw the ball back. And then it was like the A's were batting, and the ball comes flying out in the left <laughs> field. And then the fan decided to throw the ball at the left fielder, and it totally messed up the game. You know, it caused this big stir, and they had to get the guy out of there. And then the, the A's people came around, and they were saying, like, look, you know, we can't have this. This is a bad look, you know. And they were already yeah. pretty bad that year, too. <laughs> I love it. Appreciate the yeah. Appreciate the phone call. Art in Portland. Yeah, and when you're talking the racial stuff, I mean, that those fans shouldn't just be kicked out if they have season. They should be banned from the arena. You know, and I know that's difficult to enforce. It's much easier if they're season ticket holders because you can just say, guess what? You don't have tickets anymore. Here's your money back, or not, because you know there are clauses all in those agreements. Uh, so it is a fine line. I'm just, uh, again, with uh, the Malice at the Palace, various other events, the leagues are very touchy about this. I'm surprised that this Royals reliever only got three games for this. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. I do have more baseball. I've got some golf. It looks like PGA is looking to uh, ramp up their battle with Live Golf as well. They brought a big name in to help facilitate that. I'll tell you about that next. Sam Sinden for Kazano. It's the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson, the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. I was going to talk uh, Tiger Woods PGA Tour, uh, kind of uh, looking to ramp things up against Live Golf. I'll hit that in a couple minutes. But uh, right before the show started here, um, there was a report, a word that uh, LeBron James' son, Brawny, is... Uh, Potentially headed to Oregon. It's not a done deal, but it says it's a greater than 50% chance they're the leader in the clubhouse. Uh, 
This is one of those things, guys. It was surprising to read, but also it made perfect sense. And once I actually thought about it for a second, I said, well, I mean, of course that's going to happen. Obviously, LeBron, Nike, Phil Knight, the Ducks, it's all sort of interwoven there. Bronny James potentially headed to Eugene. What's your snap reaction? Yeah, so this is from on three. Uh, com and it was by uh, Jamie Shaw, who is their national basketball recruiting analyst, and he has it as Oregon at a 50% chance, USC at 25, Ohio State at 25%. So those were the top three schools he has for Bronny right now. Um, and then he had said there's reports that uh, Oregon has reached out to Bronny, and he's reached out to Oregon, and there's mutual interest there. So, I mean, it would be crazy, right? Like, he is LeBron James's son, and so he, there's going to be so much hype around him. Uh, it's going to bring a lot of attention to the program. It's still unknown what type of level of basketball player he is. I know he's a four-star recruit, but is it because he's LeBron James's kid that he's getting ranked that high or what? Um, he did have that nice dunk that I've been playing in my update from ESPN. He had a nice dunk uh, when they were overseas playing over there. So, like, it would be an awesome gift, for, I think, for Oregon just because it brings a lot of uh, you know a lot of attention uh, to the Pac-12 to Oregon. So I think it's a win in that situation on the court. It still remains to be seen, but I mean, if you're Oregon, I think you got to be excited since you already got those two five stars. If you have a chance to bring in Bronny as well, I think it'd be huge. Yeah. I think this would be as uh, explosive of a recruiting move as maybe Oregon's ever had, like maybe cave on Thibodeau bull bull comes to mind. And that's just recently. And yeah, if we're just talking about not necessarily like impact to win a national championship, but more just hype, you know, getting, bringing a player in, Bronny James Jr. is certainly going to do that, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, you got the Oregon, you know, Oregon is the flagship Nike uh, school, and then you also have this 2023 class for Oregon is shaping up pretty incredibly. I, they, they have Jackson Shellstad from over at West Lynn, and then they have, he's a four-star, they have Kwame Evans Jr. and Mookie Cook, and both of them are top ten five-star prospects. So, so, they so already, Cook, is, Cook is officially back then, right? Well, I don't think he signed his letter of intent, but he, he committed. But he was committed, decommitted, recommitted, correct? Yeah, he's recommitted. Yeah, okay. same with Kwame Evans. And I was reading about Mookie Cook and uh, Bronny James' relationship a little bit. Those two have been teammates in the past, and Mookie mm-hmm. Cook actually played a role in a movie about, or a future movie that's going to come out about LeBron James back in high school. So Mookie Cook played LeBron James' character from when he was in high school for some future uh, film that's going to come out. So Mookie Cook has a relationship with... Uh, the James family. So I think there's a lot of things that kind of make sense here. I, I think his other options and, you know, where I would have predicted before the story came out, I think Ohio State makes sense, given that LeBron has came out and said that's, you know, where he would have gone, the Ohio connection. Since then, he's started a new life in the West Coast. So uh, who knows if that's still in play. It sounds like 25% chance. USC and UCLA kind of equally make sense. I think US. I would have predicted UCLA. Uh, yeah. better basketball school and, you know, more history. Uh, I think Duke, you know, if I know Coach they just K lost Coach Duke, K. I think Duke would have been a, but I Coach K's Duke, out there, so. I, you know, I know LeBron James has talked about Duke before, and I'm not sure if he's officially, like, a Duke guy, but uh, obviously if it comes to a big-time basketball prospect, it's it, Duke's always going to be in the mix. I think those are the schools that make the most sense along with Oregon or the G League Ignite. You skip college altogether. Uh, I'm not really sure what they're trying to do with Bronny. I know the ultimate goal is to get him to the NBA. What's the best path? Is it the G League Ignite, or is it one year of college with all the NIL money? I think uh, both those are solid options. Yeah, man, think about the amount of NIL money that Bronny's going to get, even if he's a fine college player. And I think he's going to be pretty good. I'm not... 
I don't think he's going to be the next LeBron James. I don't think anyone that pays attention at all is expecting that. But the amount of NIL money that would be available to LeBron James' kid is going to be wild. It's funny. Someone tweeted at me, too. It says, if Bronny goes to the Ducks, what's the over-under on the number of pointless articles about LeBron to the Blazers? And I said about $999 billion over-under. And I think that might be too low as well, don't you? Yeah, no, that's definitely uh, that's definitely you bet the over on that one. Yeah. That's easy money. But uh, there, you know, there's places that do evaluations and valuations of what your projected NIL money would be. Bronny, I read, was $6.4 million. Wow. So, I mean... Not he, that he needs it. No, and he doesn't even need it. He's but he's the most. He would be the most, um, you know, ex, you know, quote unquote, expensive uh, amateur coming into college in his class already. He's making the most money as a high school student already. So, I mean, the attention would be all on the Oregon Ducks. I mean, they would be probably maybe the most intriguing team in all of college basketball. If he goes to Oregon. Yeah, I think what it does is, and again, I'm not even talking about the on-the-court stuff. It's just, you know, with the recruiting success that they've had over the the recent years, you know, like Bull Bull, for example, didn't really do anything, dealt with an injury, but he was so hyped, and Oregon got him. And you can even go back to uh, the previous year with, uh, oh, I'm Troy bl- Brown. Troy Brown, that's who I was thinking of. But, yeah, both those guys never really, but they were highly touted, you know. And now you have this class coming in. If you add a a brawny to that, I mean, whether it even equates in wins and losses, and obviously Ducks fans, that's what you're hoping for is wins and, you know, a deep run in the tournament. Just what it does to the national perspective as a a school, you know, like UCLA, for example, that's a school in basketball that always kind of gets the benefit of the doubt, even if they're just okay, because they're such a legendary school. And at least in the short term, having a run like that and capping it off with Bronny James, LeBron is going to be sitting there watching those games when he's available. That's going to be massive for that program, just how things, you know, the optics of it nationwide, worldwide. Yeah, I mean, and and I'm a college basketball junkie, so I'm going to be watching teams no matter what. But you think about if he goes to Oregon, like they will be talked about on all the national shows. They'll be on national TV all the time. Like they will be the number one team to watch yeah. in all of college basketball. It won't be the East Coast teams like it usually is. It'll be the Oregon Ducks out here in Eugene. I mean, your the goal for a school is always you know using athletics in a way that can promote your school like nationwide and get more kids to go to your school. You know, make the University of Oregon as an educational institution more popular. And I honestly think that having LeBron James' son like that would be. That would be a something that reaches even non-basketball fans. Bronny James goes to the University of Oregon. Like that would be a, a big deal. And again, you don't know. Like Bronny James, I don't even know. It sounds like technically off the recruiting rankings, he would be the third best player in this recruiting class uh, for Oregon. Like Mookie Cook and um, the other player for the Kwame Evans Jr. He's tech. They're both technically rated higher, but in terms of a marketing move and just the University of Oregon and trying to grow that brand and trying to get more kids to attend that school, uh, it would just be huge. And the question is, where can he get the most NIL money? I think Oregon is is certainly in that conversation. I think UCLA and USC, USC obviously, yeah. he could do great there as well. And another thing, you mentioned the Blazers. I wonder, because LeBron James, he's in contract extension talks with the Lakers. He only has one more year left in his deal with the Lakers. So Bronny James also has one more year left of high school. So I wonder, like, if those two, how much does it matter to them that they live in the same city? If LeBron's still with the Lakers after next year, then maybe USC and UCLA make the most sense. You know, he can continue to live in L.A. And uh, But I don't really know how much do you guys think it matters that 
Like, let's say LeBron still plays in L.A. Do you think he's going to go up to Oregon? Like, how much does geography and living in the same city matter? I don't think it does. That's that age where kids are looking to, okay, I'm a man. I'm going to stretch my wings. I'm going to get away. You know, and LeBron's going to let him. And I certainly expect that, I mean, LeBron's going to be in, assuming this all actually goes down, of course. LeBron would be there watching some games and stuff. But, I mean, he'll be playing in L.A. or wherever he's going to play. And I think he's going to stay in L.A. until Bronny gets drafted, if he gets drafted. And then it's no secret that they want to link up and play. And wherever that happens is wherever it's going to happen. But I certainly don't think that he would come up and, you know, pitch his tent in Portland and play for the Blazers so he could go down to Eugene and watch him. But Here's what I'm trying to say. If LeBron is going to be a Laker after this season, if he signs a contract extension, wouldn't it make a lot of sense for that family? Like, okay, Bronny, you're going to go start UCLA. I'm going to be a star for the Lakers and we're just going to we're going to be in LA together. Like- Potentially, but and I mean maybe even probably, but I think what we see a lot of times with the 18-year-old kids, that's when it's like okay, now it's my time. I'm going to get out. I'm going to go. That's why it's it's kind of notable when you have kids stay in state where so often the highly touted kids it's like they'll go across the country. Flor- you know, a Florida kid going to Oregon or a Southern California kid coming up to Oregon. It's like, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to start fresh and I'm going to be my own guy. And so that would make sense that Bronny would do that and we can just rule SoCal together. But I have a feeling, <laughs> considering I've never met either of them, that, you know, maybe it's like, okay, now I want to build my own name. Considering I literally have my dad's name, I want to build my own name. Yeah, I mean, he, cha- he shortened the name. He is LeBron James Jr., but he goes by Bronny because he doesn't want to be LeBron James Jr. So, yeah. like, and you like you mentioned, LeBron has said that he wants to play with his son in the NBA. So that is a real thing. Where it is, we don't know. But, I mean, if you're an Oregon fan and you want Bronny at your school, I think it's a good sign because LeBron and Nike obviously have that connection. And Phil Knight is going to do whatever it takes to get the best players into Oregon. He's already proven that. And I think if they want Bronny... I think Bronny is ripe for the taking to come to Oregon if he's going to play in college. It's going to be wild times if that happens. I mean, when you're looking at the new landscape of college athletics, that's about as big a get as you possibly can. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. More great sports talk. We can continue to talk about Bronny James and that news. 503-417-7575. I'm Peter Sampson in for Gonzano. It's the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Wrapping up hour number two here on the BFT. If you miss me, tell my joke that pissed off like 5,000 people. Go ahead and grab the podcast. I told it at the beginning of this hour. I will not be uh, repeating it, but uh, you can always find that. I did see, man, it's hot outside today. I thought we were done with the heat waves, and instead we're getting some mid-90s again. Got to stay cool in the summer. I don't know if you guys ever, growing up, did you ever do the, uh, like, the big Costco box of the Otter Pops where you get Mm -hmm. the box of, like, 300 of them? Yeah. I could go for an Otter Pop right now. Yeah. Doesn't that sound good? Those sound pretty good. I got to get down. What was your favorite color? Oh, it's blue. Blue. I mean, normally I'm a green guy because green is the best flavor anything because it's going to be lime, watermelon, or sour apple, and those are always the best. But it's all about that electric blue that you can't find anywhere in nature, and yet you're ingesting it. That's the flavor. What do you go with? I like the purple. 
you get that great flavor, oh, yeah, yeah. kind of sour. Give it that little tang in the back of your throat. That's yeah. good stuff. Big part of my childhood. I for used sure. I used to also I'd take pouches of Capri Suns and you throw them in the freezer, and when those are kind of the the uh, consistency of a Slurpee, then you just cut the top off and you just hit that with the spoon. That's the way to go. The problem with the blue one though, it always got my tongue blue, and I really hated that. Yeah, just make your friends jealous. I have Otter Pops. You don't. See, I, I just I just hated it. I don't know why. Maybe that's a me problem. Yeah. What What would you get down with then? Yeah, I'm more of a red guy. Red or orange, give me those. Yeah, I tend to stay away from the red frozen treat really quickly. I this is so when I was a, a teenager, when I was in 15, I was in a horrible, horrible car accident, like really, really bad. And uh, so I was in intensive care for a few days and in the hospital for a few days beyond that. And I had uh, internal injuries, right? And uh, not to get too graphic, but I'm in a situation where I, I got that tube in the nose that goes down to your stomach. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what it's called. And eventually after a few days, they're like, okay, we're going to test out and see if he can uh, he can eat something, if he can digest something. He doesn't just sit here and live on an IV. So I'm very excited. And they're like, well, we're going to keep it gentle. and We're going to give you a popsicle. But the thing is, the tube in the nose is connected to your stomach and everything you eat. Like, again, I'm not going to be graphic here, but it comes out of that tube. They gave me a cherry popsicle. What color is cherry? It's red. And they want to see what, like, if I have continued internal bleeding, and then they give me a red popsicle to then eat. And then so it comes out my nose, and they're like, uh, we don't know if this is bad or not. You couldn't drop me a little bit of grape, maybe some lemon lime, mix in some sour apple, maybe some tangerine. You had to go with deep red. I don't, I mean, I know these are professionals, but there has to have been a better standard. And again, Kim is a nurse. She's not bedside anymore. She uh, went to the dark side and makes a lot of money on the business side. But she said, yeah, we don't do that anymore because eventually everyone realized that that is a terrible, terrible idea and fixes nothing. I'm going to go get an otter pop as soon as I'm done here. But first, I've got hour three ahead. Peter Sampson and for Gonzano. It's the bald face truth. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. Dreaming about frozen Capri Suns now and Otter Pops. By the way, I just looked. Kraft Heinz is recalling a bunch of Capri Sun because it might be contaminated with cleaning solution. So I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to stay away from that. Yeah, I'll pass on that. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get down with some blue otter pops. Green is solid as well. Again, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're, if you're talking unnatural foods, or I guess natural foods as well, if you're talking veggies then, green is the best flavor. It always is. Sour apple, it's watermelon, or it's lime. Those are always delicious. You're never going to get a, a neon green something, assuming it's you know sweet, it's candy, it's a soft drink, whatever it is. It's always going to be good. You never know. The cherry could be too cherry. Grape is delicious, except when it's horrible. Orange, eh, can take or leave orange. Could be too sticky, sickly sweet. Go for green. You'll never regret it. It's my pro tip of the day when you're buying junk food. I did see today. <laughs> I'm very excited for this. The new Manti Teo documentary has dropped on Netflix and uh, if you don't remember the Manti Teo situation, 10 years ago now, 10 years, 
Do you remember uh, a little something sounding like this? Manti, this must be a bittersweet night, emotional week, losing your grandmother and your girlfriend on Tuesday. How would you describe your emotions on the field tonight? I mean, they were with me, you know, so. I mean, I couldn't do without them. I couldn't do without the support of my family and my girlfriend's family. And uh, I'm just, I'm so grateful for, you know, all the love and the support that all the fans, both Michigan State and, and Notre Dame and, you know, fans around the world for, you know, just supporting me and my family and my girlfriend's family. And uh, nah, I'm, I miss them. I miss them. But I know that I'll see them again one day. I can't imagine what you're going through. And you played inspired on the field with an interception over 10 tackles. You came in with a challenge to stop Le'Veon Bell. How did you do it? I mean, you know, Le'Veon Bell is a good, he, he's a good athlete. You know, he's, he's proven himself. And, and I did it with the, with the help of my teammates. You know, my teammates really came out here and, and dominated and, you know, and really wanted to get after it. So, um, you know, with the help of my team, you know, we, we really came out with the, with the win. And I'm, I'm so happy that I had a chance to honor my, my grandma and my family and my girlfriend. So, uh, you know, that's what it's all about, family. Manti, a courageous night. And uh, our thoughts are certainly with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Brent? Thank you, Heather. Manti Teo, the defensive player of this game, standing tall with a heavy heart here tonight. And the Irish pulled a 3-0 and and head home to play Michigan next Saturday night. Yeah, so, you know, his grandmother passed away. That's a terrible tragedy. Unfortunately, you know, most of us deal with that at some point. The, uh, at least his grandmother was real. Because if you recall, his girlfriend, not only had he never actually met her, he had never actually met her because she did not exist. I remember that was wild when that happened. And here we are 10 years later, the documentary on that whole situation. And this is why, like I had heard of catfishing guys. Like I knew what the term was. This is the first time it really jumped into the mainstream. And like after this, wasn't there? I think there was like a show on MTV that was you know catfishing and all that. This whole story, it's so weird. You can't believe it's true. Like if if I saw a movie, a fictional movie, and this was the story, I'd say it's too hokey. But this actually happened. Yeah, I mean the fact that he was out there on national TV after the game talking about the death of his girlfriend who didn't exist, and he's getting. Uh, Brett Musburger to talk about what the what a courageous game he just had because of it. Like I remember sitting there thinking, like this. I don't even know what it is. I'm with you, Peter. Like I remember thinking of catfish and having no idea what a catfish was, and hearing this story and thinking, you know, what, this like this is the wildest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I'm not like I wasn't exaggerating. I never heard anything of it. And I wonder if it really affected his career. Like that's what I want to see in the documentary. Did it affect his? on-field performance after that when he made it to the NFL and played for the Saints like was that still on his mind or like or what or did he get over it somehow like I don't it seems like something at the time that was so big that it really could have had an actual effect on his performance as a player yeah and what's interesting to me is is I think it always had to be lurking and he had a, a I mean his the NFL career was fine it was fine. He certainly wasn't the beast that he was in college. But I remember he would have his moments. He would have games sometimes where it's like, there he is. That's the dude from Notre Dame. But you have to imagine, especially because it would have been embarrassing, but if he had just come out and said it from the beginning, you know what I mean? He would have been clowned. 
everyone gets clowned for everything. I mean, multiple people are clowning me right now for that joke I told. It's fine. Who cares? But if he had just gotten it over with and been clowned, it would have sort of been forgotten. But instead, it became such a massive national story that turned out to be BS. And he rode with it for so long and tried to maintain it was true. Even when the reports were starting to come out, uh, we looked into this and she didn't die. Oh, we looked into this and she didn't die because she's not real. Then he finally had to turn face. I think that might have impacted him a little bit. But more importantly, it was just the perception. He could have managed the whole thing better and it would have managed the perception. So everything we're talking about right now, we're going to learn in this Netflix documentary. I hope so. I hope so, yeah. I'm going to go home and watch this. At a time where I could use some content, my show ended yesterday, I you know, I'm, can't wait to watch this. Uh, it, one part? On I'm Netflix? not sure. Yeah, I think it's just one one documentary, like one episode. This is going to be fantastic. I was young when this happened. Yeah. I remember Notre Dame, same old Notre Dame, if I remember correctly, got thrashed in the national title by, I believe, Bama, yep. like usual when Notre Dame makes the playoff for the, the national championship. But uh, Manti Teo was truly a stud. Oh, man. He was a Heisman finalist, and he lost to, was it, it wasn't Mariota. It was uh, in, around that, it was around that 2013 2015, 2014. Anyone remember exactly who he lost to? Uh, but he uh, he was so good at, at Notre Dame. Just a uh, one of you know you don't always see like a special defensive player right. in college football that can make the Heisman. Uh, you know we saw Tyron Matthew, we saw Indomitong uh, Sue, and I think Manti Teo was definitely one of those generational college football defenders. Yeah, so Manti Teo, uh, when he lost in the Heisman, it was to Johnny Manziel. Johnny, Johnny Manziel. Manziel was That's right. 2015? Uh, I'm putting you guys on the spot. Yeah. Uh, 2012. Yeah, yeah, 12. Way off. I remember I was, uh, <laughs> not to get behind the scenes, but I, w- I was working here the first go-around, not on the air. I was in an off-air department, and I remember uh, the hosts, you know, I'm sitting there doing my job, and I'm just like, this is so crazy. I have to tune into our sports safe station and see what those guys are talking about. But you're right. He was a monster. I mean, one of the most special defensive players. I mean, I'm old. I remember like I remember Desmond Howard at Michigan. That was one of the just the absolute beasts uh, defensively in college, you know, and he did win the Heisman. And, uh, I mean, Manti Teo, he was obviously different positions, but he was on that level, that good as a defender. And, I mean, we I guess we do remember that because we're talking about it, but what do we really remember about Manti Teo? Yeah, 111 tackles that year with seven interceptions as a linebacker. Jeez. Just, just a beast and a monster. I mean, that Notre Dame team wasn't very good, and he was kind he was the leader to get them to the national championship game against Alabama. But, yeah, I mean, it was just so interesting because it's like you said, Peter, I mean, he could have probably solved this all by just telling the truth at the very start. But I think at that time in 2012, we were still like – unsure of what catfishing even meant. And so right. I think he was probably more scared to say, you know, I can't believe I fell for this. Everyone's going to make fun of me for that and just not trust me. Like he was doing something wrong when in actuality he wasn't doing anything wrong. He just fell for it. Right. And so I think people, cause like myself, I had no idea what it meant. And so I probably would have thought that way too. So I think it just might've been a misunderstanding of everything. And so he tried to just lie and just go on, go with it. Yeah, man. It's just, and that's the yeah. challenge. Cause now that everyone's aware, you can even say like, I was talking to this girl and we got really close. We were just talking online. It's totally normal. I mean, just the other day on the polls, Sean and I, we were talking about the normalization of online dating and just, you know, I remember 15 years ago making fun of couples. Oh, you guys met on the internet. Now everyone does it, including me. Yeah. So, you know, back then it was a little different, but if you even just said right from the beginning, like, 
we had had these deep conversations. I, I felt like we were in a relationship. I mean, we hadn't met. It was online. I know that's weird to some people, but trust me, it's a real thing. And then he would have had nothing but sympathy when it came out that it was fake. It was, again, the like, no, 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 that's my girlfriend. No. It's, you know, and then he just sort of lost the plot there. Yeah. And then the whole death thing, man. I mean, just bad timing, right? Bad timing to have your grandma die and then to oh. have the, the girlfriend be thrown in there and just... It just, you know, I hate the word cringe, but it was it's cringy to, like, mm-hmm. hear uh, Heather Cox and Brett Misberger talk about just the historic and the heroic effort he put out when it's like, he knows that his girlfriend wasn't even a person. Right, exactly. Now, Sean, you said that uh, you're going to watch that tonight because you need some content because your show ended. What were you watching? What ended? Uh, Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm Finale was so, last night. Was it good? I'm oh, so behind. Oh, you're so behind, you're, but you're watching? yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, honestly, I think uh, it was super good, and I think now the conversation. I, honestly, they did such a good job with that show. Uh, Steve and I were talking about it earlier. I think a lot of people are starting the debate like Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, because I think in some ways, you know, obviously Breaking Bad's the original, and that's what got this party started, what started this whole universe. But they were kind of, I, I think, the directors, the writers, kind of obviously got better at their craft as. Better Call Saul came around in those latter years of, you know, 15 years of work. Yeah. So uh, it was it was honestly incredible. The writing, the cinematography, uh, the ending, I thought made a lot of sense. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Vince Gilligan, is he's so just good. spectacular. And, of course, Bob Odenkirk. I've been a fan of Odenkirk's back to when he was writing on SNL, and he was part of Mr. Show with David Cross. And I'm so happy that Odenkirk, who's known as just one of the good guys in Hollywood, uh, that he you know really remade himself. And I mean, he's still comedic, but it's it's a dramatic role that really is kind of you know launched him over the last I guess more than a decade now as a true star. Just awesome to see because I've been a huge fan of his forever. Yeah, I mean, I was watching. Uh, you know, I was a big fan of Breaking Bad. I couldn't get as into it as Sean did with Better Call Saul, but I just I watched it because I was so invested. I wanted to see what happened mm-hmm. at the end. I thought it was a good ending. Uh, you know, I was a big Saul fan, uh, just character wise. I mean, my number one ultimate show is The Sopranos, so that's kind of where I go at. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a good show to watch, and I'm ready to uh, find a new show as well. So uh, if you got any suggestions, if you, uh, yeah, if your number one show is The Sopranos, and we're reaching back, this isn't something new. But have have you seen Mad Men? No, I've never given it a chance. Give it a chance. Okay. It's that's that's the best show of all time. It's it <laughs> it if and especially if you like the Sopranos and the very subtle character development. It's not thrown at you, but like real I mean and things happen in the Sopranos obviously and we're not going to spoil them in case you're 20 years late, but it's more just a show of people living their lives in character development. Mad Men is that to the extreme. It's it's literature, not a comic book. It's a novel, not a, a short fiction. And it's like, well, what what happens in it? Truly, uh, people work at an ad agency. Narr- like narratively, eh, but that's not the point. It's 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 unbelievable. It's beautifully shot. It's really, really good. Yeah, I mean, sometimes when those shows are so easy to describe like that, that's when they're good, right? Like I can say, right. oh, The Sopranos is about a mob family. Right, right. That's it. But exactly. Like, that's why it's so good because it's just the you know the ins and outs of all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm down to give that a chance. And uh, TV nowadays, you know, you talk about The Sopranos is old, but, you know, the way it was shot, Better Call Saul, is just, it's such a different just way they do mm-hmm, it now. I mean, mm-hmm. everything is like a movie, basically. 
And the quality is so good. Well, it's crazy. And The Sopranos kind of led the way into that golden age of television, which Mad Men, uh, Breaking Bad, The Wire. I mean, in my my top order, you know, Matt is Mad Men, then The Sopranos, then The Wire, then Breaking Bad is my top four. It, but you're right. I mean, it, TV used to be where you would go if you weren't big time enough to get movie <laughs> deals as an actor or as a director or as a writer. It's like, well, I'm I'm working. And that's good. And now it's just as, uh, you know, uh, big time as, uh, you know, be actually being in Hollywood and making movies. You you can do these series. You can put things together and they're just spectacular. Are you, the uh, the Game of Thrones prequel is coming out yeah. August 21st. Are you guys excited about this on HBO? Man, I would have to do some legwork on uh, kind of refreshing myself on what happened in Game of Thrones. It's been probably four years since I've watched the show, so yeah. I don't think I'd have to rewatch it in, in full, but I'd have to go through some YouTube videos, remind myself exactly what happened. But I could see myself being interested in that. Is it the same creators? Uh mostly but not entirely and of course the the brothers that were the showrunners for game of thrones and everyone got mad at them because they basically ruined the last two seasons because they wanted to go get involved with star wars they are certainly not involved but uh like george rr R. martin who wrote the books and it, he's still in he's involved in this as well it takes place a few hundred years before game of thrones and it focuses just on one of the lines of the targaryens and uh i'm interested in it i again look game of thrones collapsed we all know that but if you still look at it as a whole it was still a very very good show it had a very disappointing ending but those first five seasons what did it do eight years the first five years were spectacular so instead of being maybe that fifth one on my all-time you know it's maybe eh, the 15th best show ever because of those last two years it still was really well done and as long as martin's involved i mean <laughs> Goodness knows he's not going to finish the books anytime soon. Uh, you know, I'm excited for it. It's big budget stuff. You know, the writing is hopefully going to be good. The guys that ruined it are out. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I know everyone loves it. I I never watched it. I just, I can't get into sci-fi, that type of stuff. Like, I'm just not my thing. Um, so I never watched it. So I'm definitely not interested in uh, Game of Thrones. But I know and I respect how good it is. Because even people, you know, like my brother who's not into this type of stuff, like he watched it. He's like, it's a great show. And I just, I can't get myself to it's watch deep. it. It's deep. It's deep. I'm going to put my nerd glasses on real quick and go, actually, it's fantasy, not sci-fi. I know. I'm just playing. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, See, yeah, it is, it is. I get that. But, the, but what, what it was great at and what it ultimately lost in the last two seasons is... It was the depth of the writing. You would have these these uh, you know relationships and these characters that were so deep. Especially the, the the interplay between characters was so deep, and then it could go away from them for two years, and then it would pick right back up with a scene of them somewhere, and it all narratively made sense. And so, if you're tracking all this, it's like a giant web as you're like writing out the narrative. And over the course of the last two seasons, it just became like a big action movie and that's cool for a lot of people but what made it special as opposed to any big budget action movie or series it was that depth and it just seemed to lose that so i'm hoping that this prequel now that those guys aren't just rushing to get it done and being so lazy that they literally left starbucks coffee cups and some of the frames and things like that that happened in the last season after being so good i hope it goes back to that original level that it was yeah totally i mean i remember Game of Thrones, I it was just such a spectacle, and it was honestly yeah. just like it was more talked about than any TV show that I can remember, you know, growing up with. And everyone was in the Game of Thrones, and I remember my sophomore year of college, 
there was a new season coming out, and I had never seen it. The new season was coming out in about a month. So what did I do? I took it amongst myself while I was taking classes and everything to just burst through Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like five seasons, I think I made it through in about the span of a month and uh, tried to balance that with classes and everything. And I ended up catching all the way back, but then I, I caught up for what was kind of a disappointment. Right. It really was. Man, Sunday nights, that's what was up like a decade ago. You'd have Mad Men at 8, Breaking Bad at 9, and then Game of Thrones oh at goodness. 10. All new episodes right in a row. I would just be shell-shocked by the end, the sheer amount of drama going on on those shows. Especially because, like, I, I'm not going to ruin Mad Men because, I, again, I highly encourage you to watch it. But then you have, let's say, the later season exploits of Walter White, and then you have all the crazy stuff that would happen on Game of Thrones. I, I would be emotionally spent at the, like, it's 11 o'clock, and I'd be like, I need to wind down before I can go to bed. I can't even handle this. Are we ever going to experience that again as a society, like live TV? Because it feels like when new TV shows drop and they're really uh, highly regarded, they kind of drop, like, in streaming, like Netflix, right. and you can, like, binge the entire season, you know, like, you can kind of watch it at your own pace. It feels like the glory days of television are when stuff stuff would drop at like eight o'clock, and then everyone was watching it at the exact same time, and then everyone's done with it at the exact same time. Feels like we've lost that a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, I and I think they're trying because you're absolutely right, and I think that these producers and these networks or you know or streaming services they're trying to sort of strike a balance now because the trick with HBO is it's still a channel too so like uh, not that it's as highly regarded as the shows we're just discussing but Barry for example Barry finally came back I love Barry I've been waiting for like two years it's back and it was weekly again but that's because it's an actual channel on television as well but with the newest uh, newest series of, of uh, Stranger Things where they, they didn't dump it all at once how they used to but they didn't do it weekly they would give you four and then they wait, and then they give you four more. So if you want to binge and just waste your well, – it wasn't a waste. It was awesome. But if you want to spend your whole weekend watching Game of Thrones, you can. But there's still those little drops so you can maximize everyone going, oh, my gosh, did you see what happened at the cliffhanger for Stranger Things in Episode 4? And you're still getting that sort of cultural water cooler moment. Yeah, I mean, you guys are right. I like – there was nothing like I remember because I didn't start watching Breaking Bad till a couple seasons in, but I watched it live as it happened, and it was must see TV. Like oh. that's that's what we wanted to do. You know, like you said, Sunday nights, Peter is just that's what you want to watch, and it's hard to get to those moments. I think sports is really the last thing that you kind of have to watch live, uh, just so you can talk about it. I mean, it, mm -hmm. even TV shows, like you said, they come out right on the streaming right afterwards. So it's sports, and that's about it now. Yeah. I mean, you lose that, you know, growing up back in the, the 90s. It was uh, it was Friday night or uh, Friday morning talk. It was, did you see Seinfeld last night? It was always Seinfeld. And obviously, very different show than what we're talking about here. No real drama there whatsoever. But those weekly, those appointment watching, which, you, again, is virtually only sports at this point, you do lose that. And you can capitalize on a collective interest, which is harder to do now because there are so many options. Everyone can binge everything. Your quality, 
the quality of your content, it has to be so good to hold that attention and really sort of, I mean, it's not viral, but you know what I'm talking about, that collective consciousness where before it's like, well, we got four channels and this is really good and it's on every Thursday at nine o'clock. Let's talk about that. It's it's an interesting time to uh, to be a, I guess we'll still call it television, uh, television or movie or series uh, producer because you do have to take all that into account. All right, we'll go away, come back. If nothing else, Sean, man, Manti Teo Doc, let us know how it is. I don't know if I have time tonight, but I'm going to watch it this two week. Parts. It's two, two parts. parts. 64 minutes, 60 minutes. It's called Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. I'm so ready. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, all right. So if you're going to watch it tonight, I'll try. I don't know if I'm going to get to it, but we'll have a review of this tomorrow when we're back and let everyone know if it's worth their time. All right. We'll go away. Come back. Some, uh, I guess I'll call it news, out of the SEC. Ole Miss has their new punter. Where did they get him from? I'll tell you. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with the Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. I am Peter Sampson. This is the Bald Face Truth. Statewide on the BFT Radio Network. You can grab a podcast of this show. Kanzana always touts the numbers, the great job that Sean and his team do. And it's awesome. I've seen the numbers. And when he calls you guys an army, he's not lying. It's unbelievable the amount of people that are consuming the show or an interview via the podcast. So you don't need to just grab it, you know, when I'm hosting. You can go back and get fantastic content. You know John's always got the best sources, especially on the Pac-12. Really interesting stuff. I'm looking forward to him coming back this week and seeing what he's got as we move in to college football. Fellas, we are really, really close here. feel like we've been uh, excited about this, saying it's right around the corner for three weeks now, maybe a month. And here we are. Week zero is coming right up. I feel like after the, all the realignment stuff, like I've been wanting college football on the field because of all the realignment talk. I've been waiting for it. I've been waiting for the games to actually start. And it started a little yeah. earlier this year because of the realignment stuff. So I'm ready for it, man. I'm, I cannot wait, even for week zero. I know there's only a few games, but I know there's North- Northwestern taking on uh, Nebraska over in Dublin. Like I'm excited. I'm excited for all these games. Yeah, I, I can't wait. Uh, September 3rd is going to be... Insane. Like, you think of some of the games, obviously all eyes are going to be in this state on Oregon State, Boise State, Oregon, Georgia, but then there's just so many games that are going to be going on that day um, that are uh, not going to get enough attention, that are, like, really, like, important matchups with other top 25 teams. So September 3rd is going to be, I think, the really big day, but like you said, August 27th, that's going to feel like maybe the games aren't as great. I know there's the the Northwestern game over in Ireland. Um, but, you know, it, it's still going to feel like a really important day because that's going to mark the first day back with college football, and it's officially going to feel like football season if it doesn't already. Yeah, it's it's just to whet the appetite. And the thing is, is I mean, maybe they're not the best games they never are, but I've seen a lot worse Week 0 games than what we have slotted. And, I'm, and for me, that first week, even the couple weeks, like we're so blessed to have Oregon-Georgia right off the bat. You know, it's not Stony Brook or something like that. It's about the ritual, man. It's about getting up on game day, you know, 
not having to get fully dressed, just wearing sweatpants and a T-shirt. I tell you, in the freezer right now, I've got two pounds of pork shoulder ready to make carnitas. I've got two racks of baby back ribs. I'm saving them for college football. And that's really what it's about. Whether And again, whether I'm doing it alone, you have some buddies over, you just throw the games on. It doesn't really matter. And of course, obviously, as we get through the season, it starts becoming about, okay, what are these matchups? What are we playing for here? Who's good? Who's not? Who's rising? Who's falling? But for now, man, I just want to get into the season and just feel it. I can taste it, fellas. Well, the best part about college football is it starts at 9 a.m. And I mean, those games aren't being great either, but it goes all the way to 7, 30, 8 o'clock like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is literally all day. So it's like, you know, you can go do some things. You can look at the schedule and say, you know what? I got a quick little break from about 12 to 3. There's not that many good games in that window. I'm going to go do some errands. I'm going to come back and really hit the grind for the last four hours of the day. But it's all day, and it's it's just fun, man. I just love it. I can't wait. What's your what's your guys's uh, routine? Assuming you're uh, you're not you know going to a sports bar, going to the game, or going to a buddy. If you're at home, whether you're hosting or alone, what's your guys's routine? What's the go-to snack? How do you set up the system? What what are you doing? Yeah, so we uh, my family has a has a wing recipe, just a hot like a hot wing recipe. So you know I'll go out and I'll grill some wings. My face just lit up. Yeah, yeah. you did. So we grill some wings. We make some make different flavors. My wife, uh, you know, has added on to the actual original recipe we got. Throw some garlic in there and stuff like that. Mm. So uh, we usually go wings. That's our usually the football food. But uh, NFL Sundays usually my buddies will come over and my wife will make an egg scramble, like a breakfast scramble. Have some bacon. Have some toast. It's good times. Yeah, for college football. Um, I would say, yeah, wings, like you said, chips and salsa is always a big, uh, big part of the day. And then, yeah, you, you got, like you said, you got to have the audio. You know, the audio with uh, the the broadcasters is always super important. Of course, my college football Saturdays are usually pr- planned around the duck game. You know, and then also whatever the big game is. Uh, of the week. So usually, you know, like I would argue, Stephen, you said that uh, college football is an all day affair. I would say the NFL is even more of an all day affair. Like Sundays, like I don't do anything but watch football. <laughs> Saturdays, you know, I can I can probably scoot away from the TV for a couple of hours most weeks. I don't think that's going to be the case on September 3rd because I invite you to go look at that schedule. But, you know, uh, both Saturdays and Sundays, you know, college football and NFL Sundays are uh, so great for different reasons. And uh, I just can't wait to have them back. Yeah, without, by the way, you mentioned chips and salsa as the go-to. That's mine as well. I, uh, I'm i going to be real. My tomatoes and my jalapenos are exploding now. If you guys want me to bring some fresh pico in for you here in a week or two yeah I, uh, I I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have way to too much in, yeah. yeah yeah it's it's unbelievable the t- the tomatoes right now I did last year they weren't great I did two plants I mean they were tasty but you know they're small they were pretty sparse and I go okay we're gonna double this bad boy up and I'm gonna do one it's called an early girl it's gonna flower it's, or it's gonna ripen you know maybe like 10 days ahead of the others and they took over the entire bed like it's unbelievable I'm probably gonna end up with 200 250 tomatoes here they're already starting to ripen. The jalapeno plants are so small, but now it, it's been hot. We're late in the summer. Each one of these things is, looks like it's given me 15, 16 peppers. There's no way I can consume all this. So I'll, I'll, I'll bring some in for you guys for college football. Yeah, P- Pico de Gallo, man. That's that's my go-to salsa. That's, that's yeah. the best salsa in my opinion. Yeah, I, I'm good with like a pureed, like a like restaurant style salsa, like ranch, yeah, ranchero yeah. style. But yeah, man, it's all about the chunks, especially the fresh tomato, you know, just actually squeezing the lime, nothing out of the bottle, you know, some good onion, fresh if possible. It's, and then you got to the have those, yeah, you got to have those fresh peppers and throw it together at the last minute. If you want, do you guys want to get down with shrimp? I can turn it into ceviche. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. please, please do. Yeah, okay, maybe we'll do that. I'll set you guys up for, uh, <laughs> 
week zero or week one the right way. So I agree there. But in exchange, bro, you got to. I don't know if that's a closely guarded recipe, but uh, I'd get down with that yeah. wings recipe. Or you know, just let me sample a wing. I understand some things got to stay in the family. You know, maybe it was passed down from grandma, or something like that. But no, I, I'm very I got curious. You, bro. I got you. I mean. What's my other option here? We, I live next to Wingstop. They're fine. Yeah. They're fine. But, uh, fine. Yeah, it's a fine alternative. Now, and, and, and are, is it kind of a classic yeah, sauce? classic buffalo sauce. Okay. Yeah. Man, I'm ready. See, that's the best part about college football, man. It's the snacks and the get-togethers. Let's do it. Let's go. So, week zero, you mentioned, Sean, obviously week one. September 3rd is the day. We all know Oregon, Georgia. Uh, I haven't glanced at the schedule in quite some time. What are some of the other premier games that are that are popping that Saturday? We're talking week zero. Uh, no, September 3rd. September 3rd. Okay. Well, yeah, I, th- I, got... I think the biggest game for the Pac-12 is Utah at Florida. Yeah, I mean, quite, I know yeah. Utah is a two-and-a-half-way yeah. favorite. I like Florida in that game. I think Florida's actually going to win that game. So, But I wow. think it will hurt Pac-12's chances to get any type of playoff team because Utah is the favorite in the Pac-12. Florida is a middle-of-the-pack right. SEC team. I think it's a tough spot for Utah to go into the swamp because it's at, it's at act- Florida's actual home field. It's a true road game for Utah. I think that's the biggest game in the back 12 Especially right off the bat because, I mean, Utah, look, there's they've had expectations before, but they haven't had preseason expectations like this. Number and, seven. Yeah, exactly, seven. Ne- unanimously or nearly unanimously expected to win the back 12 Fringe playoff hopes. But, look, you you got to get through Florida, and it's right off the bat. It's not even week two or something like right. that. It's right off the bat. Here you go. Yeah. I agree that's a massive one. Real quick about Utah. Uh, and the national champion, every national champion in the college football playoff era has been top seven or better preseason. Mm. And Utah falls into that. So that's the expectations they got. Okay, week one, September 3rd. You're going to start your morning, Colorado State at Michigan. Little Mountain West action at Michigan. Cincinnati, Arkansas, I feel like is a game mm. that maybe we haven't talked about a lot on this station. Obviously, two teams the other side of the country. But that's 23 versus 19 uh, coming at, to you at 1230. And then Oregon, Georgia is also at 1230. So, you know, we haven't talked about it a lot, and we're also probably not going to watch it at all because it's the the exact same time, uh, Oregon, Georgia. BYU, Oregon's Week 3 opponent, they go to South Florida uh, 1 p.m. that day. USC starts with Rice 3 p.m. Utah, Florida is going to be 4 o'clock. So Oregon, Georgia, and Utah, Florida are staggered, which I think any Pac-12 fan could really appreciate. Yeah, and that's Utah, Florida is a night game, which is awesome. And then the other night game, so you're going to be channel flipping because you have two top five opponents. I forgot this game exists. Notre Dame and Ohio State at oh, 430. That'll right. probably be the big ABC game. Yes. I don't know. Uh, do you guys know what channel the uh, Utah, Florida game is going to be on? Is I that don't. 4 o'clock? You know, I, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe ESPN will have that one. Anyways, and then uh, Utah State, Bama. You know, Mountain West team sure. goes to Bama. Yeah. That's going to be tough for them. Clemson plays Georgia Tech. But, man, just to have Notre Dame and Ohio State at the same time, that comes after the doubleheader of uh, Oregon, Georgia, and then also Cincinnati, Arkansas. That's that's crazy. And Utah, Florida. That is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. The day is loaded. And, of course, Boise State, Oregon State. Forgot that one. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is just the top 25 teams that yeah. I've been looking at. So, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's not even all the matchups. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be a great day. I can't wait. Well, I, I'm I'm late for break. I did not get to uh, this Ole Miss story, so I'm going to hit it on the other side. I promise it's worth it. Peter Sampson in for Gonzano. It's the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Gonzano on 750 The Game. 
Welcome back to the program. It's Peter Sampson of the BFT. JC is off this week. He will be back next week. I'll tell you a secret, though. You promised to keep it between us. I'll be in next Monday as well. Don't tell anybody. We were talking college football last segment, and I didn't quite get to this Ole Miss story. This is <laughs> this is fitting. Lane Kiffin says the Ole Miss found its new punter at a keg party on campus. Ole Miss lacking depth at the punter position. So, of course, it did what any respectable program would do. It would go to a bunch of frat parties and see if any of the guys on campus can kick a football. And it turns out that Lane Kiffin found his guy. His name's Charlie Pollock. And after the Rebels scrimmage on Saturday, Kiffin was asked about the team's new punter. And he had some comments. I think I might actually even have those comments. I'll pull those up real quick. But basically... Hey, we need a kicker. What should we do? Uh, is it too late to get it? Let's look at the transfer portal. Oh, man, no one's there. Mm, well, can any of you guys, you know, act as a backup kicker? Nah, coach, not me. I can't do it. All right. Are there any frat parties going on right now? Yes. All right. Here's Lane Kiffin. Hey, you guys have also added a punter to your roster. Can you talk a little bit about him? Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about him. I think he was down at the frat house. You know, like at a keg party or something, you know, where they got him from. <laughs> so we got some conditioning work to do with my guy. But um, we just said, hey, someone go find a punter around campus. And so we found one that actually used to punt in Division One. So there's the thing, which kind of takes the uh, humor out of it. He used to punt somewhere else. But it's true. That they're just hanging out. And I like to imagine, fellas, Lane Kiffin was there shotgunning Natty Lights and then all of a sudden went, hey, man, you just kicked that, uh, that you know, that tap pretty far there. Show me that again, but let's do it with a football. Yeah, I mean, out of all the coaches in D1, Lane Kiffin's got to be a top five coach that's going to find his punter at a cake party. 100%. Like, I don't, I mean... There's got to be someone else that's more likely, but Kiffin's up there. So, yeah, I mean, and I thought it was funny in his quote how he said, you know, my guy's got to get in condition. You know, he's out of shape. He's been partying too much, basically. So, you know, he's got to get ready to go. But, I mean, what a what a find. And it also says this about Ole Miss, I think, guys, is uh, they're probably not going to punt a lot this year. I don't think Lane Kiffin's going to be like, yeah, hey, uh, cake party guy, go punt the ball. I think they're going to go for it a lot of fourth down. Yeah, I have a feeling that you're right. It's just unbelievable. And you know what? This is Charlie Pollock. This is a redemption story because it means any of us, we could be out somewhere, wasted, out of shape, and someone could just pluck us from obscurity and say, how would you like to play football, son? I love it. Yeah, is I, I'm trying to think of coaches that are more likely to do this. I think Lane Kiffin might be number one. Can you guys think of another coach who's more likely to find their coach or their punter or a player at a uh, at a frat party? Can you think of another school where this is more likely? Leach, Mike Leach, man. Mike Leach, Lincoln Riley. He kind of strikes me as Maybe, you know, a yeah. young surfer. I'm just trying to think of Pac-12 coaches, you know. Uh, I, but anyways, this Barnum. Is just- Barnum? I, I know we're not we're not talking big time college football. Bruce Barnum, maybe. Yeah, he, he's one. I could see it. Yeah, I but. This just makes too much sense. Ole Miss, like, what other schools are more likely to find their find their uh, punter at a frat party than Ole Miss? I know. What's next? Like, uh, th- you know, someone drives their car into a ditch. They call a tow truck, and the guy's handling the winch. Hey, man, you handle that winch pretty well. How do you handle offensive linemen? Want to come play football for us? 
You want to be the backup quarterback off the uh, intermineral football team, flag football? Hey, you need a backup QB. Yeah. Slinging it out there. So Charlie Pollock, though, he was at Nevada. Right, right. He's at Nevada, uh, 6'1", 250. So, yeah, my guy over there, he's got to lose a little he's weight. He's been to a few keggers, yeah. we'll just yeah. say. Yeah, yeah he's, uh, he, he's he's been to a few frat parties. I'm really I think you're right, though. Probably not going to be punting too much. I think there's going to be a lot of going for it on fourth and four. He's put on the freshman 15, if we can say that. <laughs> At least, at least. I am going to be curious. And I'll be honest, uh, I don't really watch a lot of Ole Miss. I'll probably tune in a little bit just to see this dude. Like, I do want to see him punt. Like, is that weird that I want to watch Ole Miss and watch this guy punt the ball just to see what he yeah. looks like? Yes, they're punting. Yes, yes. 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 Slop him. I love it. Uh, some more college football news just while we're here. Ohio State running back Evan Pryor's out for the season with a knee injury. Now, no, if you're unfamiliar with Ohio State's roster, uh, he was not their starter. They still have uh, Trevion Henderson. They still have uh, Mayan Williams. He was going to be their uh, probably their uh Second string, their backup back. He had 98 yards of touchdown. He only carried it 21 times last year, but he was also a true freshman last year. So I guess he was expecting a little bit bigger of a role. They were counting on him. It still hurts them. Uh, so, of course, they still have Henderson and Williams. They do have another uh, scholarship running back, an incoming freshman, uh, Dallin Hayden. He was a four-star recruit. Prior was ESPN's number seven back in the 2021 recruiting class. So certainly it's not Henderson or Williams. But that's potentially a big deal for Ohio State. It certainly isn't going to hurt their chances of having a phenomenal year and, you know, making a college football playoff run. But, man, if you're talking where, you know, if Williams, you know, tweaks an ankle and needs to miss a game and you're down to one legit back and then an incoming freshman, that could potentially, in a close game, really make a difference. Yeah, I think we underestimate a lot of times just, like, when true freshmen come in, I think we expect a little too much out of them. Right, and so for him to be yeah. a second-year player, I think that is important. So if there is another injury and you have to rely on a true freshman to be a guy, I know there has been obviously there's been exceptions. Maurice Claret, speaking of Ohio right. State, came in as a true freshman, dominated, but that's few and far between. So I think it's tough to rely on a true freshman. So I mean, yeah, in theory, like in a vacuum here, it doesn't sound like it's too big, but if another injury happens, that's when it starts to snowball. Yeah, and I'm going to be real. I, I think Ohio State, correct me if I'm wrong, this might be a hot take, I think Ohio State's the only team that can beat Bama this year. I Like, Georgia wow. Georgia had the best possible team. Like, Georgia probably had the, maybe their best team in school history, and they still almost beat a, quote, rebuilding team. Not, you know, it wasn't a rebuilding team, like Nick Saban said, but it was it was a weaker Alabama team. And those two teams went one and one against each other and, you know, kind of went, it was the, the national championship game was pretty, pretty tight for the most part. I, I haven't seen Georgia yet. Maybe, maybe they're going to be a monster, but I really think Ohio state is the one true threat to Alabama this year. And, uh, you know, if they start losing running backs and their, their offense becomes kind of one dimensional, I, I, you know, their defense is already kind of a question mark. So if they have weaknesses, then this might be a Bama runaway. So I hope Ohio state for the sanity of the game this year, uh, can, can stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State, when you think about them, it's always new four and five stars that you never even heard of. They're coming and they fill in. But this team is full of four and five stars, and they returned 13 starters from a season ago right. on the team that won the Rose Bowl. So I think you might be right, Sean. Like, it seems like it's Alabama, Ohio State, and then everybody else uh, in order. But, I mean, they got the Heisman favorite, C.J. Stroud at quarterback. They're a really good team. So, Harrison uh, Jr. Yeah, I mean, it's – 
Jackson Smith and Jake Buzz. Yeah, so be... it, yeah, it's not even the fact that they're all four and five stars, but they return a lot of these guys, which is insane. Usually, that doesn't happen at a school like Ohio State. Yeah, man, I don't know. I like, I, I guess I agree with you. Ultimately, I agree with can you. Can Georgia beat Bama this year? Like just preseason? You if know? I'm being real, man, I just I don't know if anyone can beat Bama this year. But <laughs> yeah. but that sounds so defeatist. Ohio State is loaded. Georgia just won the Natty. Yeah, they sent a bunch of dudes to the NFL, but they've got a whole nother crop coming. They still kept some guys. I just man, they kept. Their quarterback and they kept uh, Anderson, that defensive monster that they have. As long as those two dudes are back and another year experienced, uh, I'm just really worried for everyone else. I, I mean, Anderson, by all accounts, is the best player in college football. Oh, the yeah. Best overall player. Yeah. And then you could argue um, Bryce Young is the second best player in college football. He won the Heisman Trophy as a freshman. Like, they may have the two best players in the whole sport and one on each side of the ball. Like, that is insane. But you know Ohio what? State like, is built. I also think of two of the other top five or top three, it's C.J. Stroud and it's Jackson Smith and Jake Buss. Yeah, so I can see that. It's crazy how lopsided this sport is right now. We're talking about Bama and Ohio State having all of the best players. Like those, That might be the top four right there, two Bama, two truly. Ohio State. Yeah, truly. It's, it's unbelievable. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens in that regard. So, yeah, Ohio State... Uh, loses uh, running back Evan Pryor for the year. They still have Henderson. They still have Williams. But they're down to three scholarship backs. And, again, if one of those guys, even if it's not major, but you're in a close game, tweak an ankle, you're down to one solid back and then a raw freshman, things can get squirrely in a big game. So that's something to keep an eye on. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side, wrap up shop here on the BFT. If you're in Portland, you get a whole nother hour of me as soon as we uh, sign off statewide here across the footprint of the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. I am on our flagship station, 750 The Game. We'll be talking more NBA, more college football. We'll pick up our uh, Pac-12 team previews. We'll stay in the North Division. We've got a lot of sports talk taking you through 7 o'clock in Portland, but we wrap up statewide on the other side next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for Canzano. We were talking about Otter Pops earlier. I was looking up some uh, delicious, cool sweets, and I saw a horrifying one. Miller High Life makes an ice cream bar that tastes like dive bars. Now, look, we've all spent time in a dive bar, whether a tiny bit or some of us have uh, spent a good amount of time there. And we all know how dive bars are. Hazy memory. They can smell bad. And you know that smell. It's like sour and smoky. And it smells like desperation. Well, Miller High Life decided to pay tribute to that with ice cream. Because why not? So what flavor is a dive bar ice cream going to be? So first of all, uh, it's the 100th anniversary of the ice cream bar in general. Miller High Life paired with Tipsy Scoop to create the ice cream dive bar. The ice cream is infused with High Life, a peanut swirl to reflect the peanut shells always found on the floor of those bars, a bit of tobacco smoke flavor, as well as a caramel swirl, sprinkle of carbonated candy, and a dark chocolate tip. I'm into some funky things. I'm an adventurous eater. I like to do that. 
Fellas, I'm going to go ahead and pass on this. Yeah, that's a hard pass. Hard pass for me. I'm uh, I'm right out on that one. Me as well. Uh, as I don't think any kind of, you know, alcohol-tasting popsicle sounds good at all. Same thing with coffee. Just yeah. It just doesn't belong. And too many too many companies are trying to do this now. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I can get down with the delicious Spanish coffee. I'm good to go ahead and, hey, I'm going to have an alcoholic coffee drink. You know, I remember Canzano, uh, he had a Christmas party, and, and he, he had someone from Huber's making Spanish coffees there. It was rad. It was awesome with the, the flame and everything. It was very, very cool. That being said, I don't want it to sneak up on me. You know what I mean? And I don't want it for breakfast. So, you know, I don't necessarily need Irish cream in my coffee. I certainly don't need high life and tobacco smoke in my ice cream. I'm good with some smoked stuff. I'll eat some salmon. I'll eat some jerky. I don't need my vanilla. I don't need a dude smoking tobacco and blowing it in my ice cream. All right, we're back tomorrow. This has been the Bald Face Truth.